0: Chapter 19, The Servant of Lord Voldemort Hermione screamed, Black leapt to his feet. Harry felt as though he'd received a huge electric shock. I found this at the base of the Whomping Willow, said Snape, throwing the cloak aside. Careful to keep this one pointing directly at Lupin's chest. Very useful, Potter. I thank you. "'Snape was slightly breathless, but his face was full of suppressed triumph. "'You're wondering, perhaps, how I knew you were here,' he said, his eyes glittering. "'I've just been to your office, Lupin. "'You forgot to take your potion tonight, so I took a gobletful along. "'And very lucky I did—lucky for me, I mean. "'Lying on your desk was a certain map. "'One glance at it told me all I needed to know— I saw you running along this passageway and out of sight. Severus, Lupin began, but Snape overrode him. I've told the headmaster again and again that you're helping your old friend Black into the castle, Lupin. And here's the proof. Not even I dreamed you would have the nerve to use this old place as your hideout. Severus, you're making a mistake said Lupin urgently. "'You haven't heard everything. I can explain. Sirius is not here to kill Harry.' Two more for Azkaban tonight,' said Snape, his eyes now gleaming fanatically. "'I shall be interested to see how Dumbledore takes this. He was quite convinced you were harmless. You know, Lupin, a tame werewolf.' "'You fool!' said Lupin softly. Is a schoolboy grudge worth putting an innocent man back inside Azkaban? Bang! Thin, snake-like cords burst from the end of Snape's wand and twisted themselves around Lupin's mouth, wrists, and ankles. He overbalanced and fell to the floor, unable to move. With a roar of rage, Black started towards Snape, but Snape pointed his wand straight between Black's eyes. Give me a reason he whispered. Give me a reason to do it, and I swear I will. Black stopped dead. It would have been impossible to say which face showed more hatred. Harry stood there, paralyzed, not knowing what to do or whom to believe. He glanced around at Ron and Hermione. Ron looked just as confused as he did, still fighting to keep hold on the struggling scabbers. Hermione, however, took an uncertain step towards Snape and said in a very breathless voice, Professor Snape, it it wouldn't hurt to hear what they've got to say, would it? Miss Granger, you are already facing suspension from this school, Snape spat. You, Potter and Weasley, are out of bounds in the company of a convicted murderer and a werewolf. For once in your life, hold your tongue. But if if there was a mistake, keep quiet, you stupid girl, Snape shouted, looking suddenly quite deranged. Don't talk about what you don't understand. A few sparks shot out of the end of his wand, which was still pointed at Black's face. Hermione fell silent. Vengeance is very sweet, Snape breathed at Black. How I hoped I would be the one to catch you. The joke's on you again, Severus, Black snarled. As long as this boy brings his rat up to the castle. He jerked his head at Ron. I'll come quietly. Up to the castle, said Snape, silkily. I don't think we need to go that far. All I have to do is call the Dementors once we get out of the willow. They'll be very pleased to see you, Black. Pleased enough to give you a little kiss, I dare say. What little color there was in Black's face left it. You, you've got to hear me out, he croaked. The rat, look at the rat but there was a mad glint in Snape's eyes that Harry had never seen before. He seemed beyond reason. Come on, all of you, he said. He clicked his fingers, and the ends of the cords that bound Lupin flew to his hands. I'll drag the werewolf. Perhaps the Dementors will have a kiss for him, too. Before he knew what he was doing, Harry had crossed the room in three strides and blocked the door. Get out of the way, Potter. You're in enough trouble already, snarled Snape. If I hadn't been here to save your skin. Professor Lupin could have killed me about a hundred times this year, Harry said. I've been alone with him loads of times, having defense lessons against the Dementors. If he was helping Black, why didn't he just finish me off then? Don't ask me to fathom the way a werewolf's mind works, hissed Snape. Get out of the way, Potter. You're pathetic, Harry yelled. Just because they made a fool of you at school, you won't even listen. Silence! I will not be spoken to like that, Snape shrieked, looking madder than ever. Like father, like son, Potter. I have just saved your neck. You should be thanking me on bended knee. You would have been well served if he'd killed you. You'd have died like your father, too arrogant to believe you might be
1: mistaken in black. Now get out of the way, or I will make you.
0: Get out of the way, Potter. Harry made up his mind in a split second. Before Snape could take even one step toward him, he had raised his wand. Expelliarmus, he yelled. Except that his wasn't the only voice that shouted. There was a blast that made the door rattle on its hinges. Snape was lifted off his feet and slammed into the wall, then slid down it to the floor, a trickle of blood oozing from under his hair. He had been knocked out. Harry looked around. Both Ron and Hermione had tried to disarm Snape at exactly the same moment. Snape's wand soared in a high arc and landed on the bed next to Crookshank's. You shouldn't have done that, said Black, looking at Harry. You should have left him to me. Harry avoided Black's eyes. He wasn't sure even now that he'd done the right thing. We attacked a teacher. We attacked a teacher. Hermione whimpered, staring at the lifeless Snape with frightened eyes. Oh, we're going to be in so much trouble. Lupin was struggling against his bonds. Black bent down quickly and untied him. Lupin straightened up, rubbing his arms where the ropes had cut into them. "'Thank you, Harry,' he said. "'I'm still not saying I believe you,' he told Lupin. "'Then it's time we offered you some proof,' said Lupin. "'You, boy, give me Peter, please. Now!' Ron clutched Scabbers closer to his chest. "'Come off it,' he said weakly. Are you trying to say he broke out of Azkaban just to get his hands on Scabbers? I mean—' He looked up at Harry and Hermione for support. "'Okay, say Pettigrew could turn into a rat. There are millions of rats. How's he supposed to know which one he's after if he was locked up in Azkaban?' "'You know, Sirius, that's a fair question,' said Lupin, turning to Black and frowning slightly. "'How did you find out where he was?' Black put one of his claw-like hands inside his robes and took out a crumpled piece of paper, which he smoothed flat and held out to show the others. It was the photograph of Ron and his family that had appeared in the Daily Prophet the previous summer, and there, on Ron's shoulder, was Scabbers. How did you get this? Lupin asked Black, thunderstruck. Fudge, said Black. When he came to inspect Azkaban last year, he gave me his paper, and there was Peter on the front page on this boy's shoulder. I knew him at once. How many times had I seen him transform? And the caption said the boy would be going back to Hogwarts, to where Harry was. My God, said Lupin, softly, staring from scabbers to the picture in the paper and back again. His front paw... "'What about it?' said Ron defiantly. "'He's got a toe missing,' said Black. "'Of course,' Lupin breathed. "'So simple, so brilliant. "'He cut it off himself.' "'Just before he transformed,' said Black. "'When I cornered him, he yelled for the whole street to hear "'that I'd betrayed Lily and James. "'Then before I could curse him—' He blew apart the street with the wand behind his back, killed everyone within twenty feet of himself, and sped down into the sewer with the other rats. Didn't you ever hear, Ron, said Lupin, the biggest bit of Peter they found was his finger? Look, Scabbers probably had a fight with another rat or something. He's been in my family for ages, right? Twelve years, in fact, said Lupin. Didn't you ever wonder why he was living so long? "'We—we've been taking good care of him,' said Ron. "'Not looking too good at the moment, though, is he?' said Lupin. "'I'd guess he's been losing weight ever since he heard Sirius was on the loose again.' "'He's been scared of that mad cat,' said Ron, nodding toward Crookshanks, who was still purring on the bed. "'But that wasn't right.' Harry thought suddenly. Scabbers had been looking ill before he met Crookshanks, ever since Ron's return from Egypt, since the time when Black had escaped. "'This cat isn't mad,' said Black hoarsely. He reached out a bony hand and stroked Crookshanks' fluffy head. "'He's the most intelligent of his kind I've ever met. He recognized Peter for what he was right away, and when he met me, he knew I was no dog.' It was a while before he trusted me. Finally, I managed to communicate to him what I was after, and he's been helping me. What do you mean? breathed Hermione. He tried to bring pizza to me, but couldn't, so he stole the passwords into Gryffindor Tower for me. As I understand it, he took them from a boy's bedside table. Harry's brain seemed to be sagging under the weight of what he was hearing— It was absurd, and yet— But Peter got wind of what was going on and ran for it, croaked Black. This cat, Crookshanks, did you call him, told me Peter had left blood on the sheets. I suppose he bit himself. Well, faking his own death had worked once. These words jolted Harry to his senses. And why did he fake his death? he said furiously, because he knew you were about to kill him, like you killed my parents. No, said Lupin. Harry, and now you've come to finish him off. Yes, I have, said Black, with an evil look at Scabbers. Then I should have let Snape take you, Harry shouted. Harry, said Lupin hurriedly, don't you see, all this time we've thought Sirius betrayed your parents.' Peter tracked him down, but it was the other way around. Don't you see? Peter betrayed your mother and father. Sirius tracked Peter down. That's not true, Harry yelled. He was their secret keeper. He said so before you turned up. He said he killed them. He was pointing at Black, who shook his head slowly. The sunken eyes were suddenly overbright. Harry, I as good as killed them he croaked. I persuaded Lily and James to change to Peter at the last moment, persuaded them to use him as secret keeper instead of me. I'm to blame, I know it. The night they died, I'd arranged to check on Peter, make sure he was still safe. But when I arrived at his hiding place, he'd gone, yet there was no sign of a struggle. It didn't feel right." I was scared. I set out for your parents' house straight away. And when I saw their house destroyed, and their bodies, I realized what Peter must have done. What I'd done. His voice broke. He turned away. Enough of this, said Lupin. And there was a steely note in his voice Harry had never heard before. There's one certain way to prove what really happened. Ron... Give me that rat. What are you going to do with him if I give him to you? Ron asked Lupin tensely. Force him to show himself, said Lupin. If he really is a rat, it won't hurt him. Ron hesitated. Then at long last he held out Scabbers, and Lupin took him. Scabbers began to squeak without stopping, twisting and turning, his tiny black eyes bulging in his head. Ready, Sirius, said Lupin. Black had already retrieved Snape's wand from the bed. He approached Lupin and the struggling rat, and his wet eyes suddenly seemed to be burning in his face. Together, he said quietly. I think so, said Lupin, holding Scabbers tightly in one hand and his wand in the other. On the count of three. One, two, three. A flash of blue-white light erupted from both ones. For a moment, Scabbers was frozen in mid-air, his small grey form twisting madly. Ron yelled. The rat fell and hit the floor. There was another blinding flash of light, and then... It was like watching a speeded-up film of a growing tree... A head was shooting upward from the ground, limbs were sprouting, a moment later a man was standing where Scabbers had been, cringing and wringing his hands. Cookshanks was spitting and snarling on the bed, the hair on his back was standing up. He was a very short man, hardly taller than Harry and Hermione, his thin, colourless hair was unkempt, and there was a large, bald patch on top— He had the shrunken appearance of a plump man who has lost a lot of weight in a short time. His skin looked grubby, almost like scabbers' fur, and something of the rat lingered around his pointed nose and his very small, watery eyes. He looked around at them all, his breathing fast and shallow. Harry saw his eyes dart to the door and back again. "'Well, hello, Peter!' said Lupin, pleasantly, as the rats frequently erupted into old-school friends around him. Long time no see. Sir Sirius, Remus, even Pettigrew's voice was squeaky. Again his eyes darted toward the door. My friends, my old friends. Black's wand arm rose, but Lupin seized him around the wrist, gave him a warning look, then turned again to Pettigrew, his voice light and casual. We've been having a little chat, Peter, about what happened the night Lily and James died. You might have missed the finer points while you were squeaking around down there on the bed. Remus, gasped Pettigrew, and Harry could see beads of sweat breaking out over his pasty face. You don't believe him, do you? He tried to kill me, Remus. So we've heard, said Lupin more coldly. "'I'd like to clear up one or two little matters with you, Peter, if you'd be so.'
1: "'He's come to try and kill me again!'
0: Pettigrew squeaked suddenly, pointing at Black, and Harry saw that he used his middle finger, because his index was missing.
1: "'He killed Lily and James, and now he's going to kill me too. You've got to help me, Remus!'
0: Black's face looked more skull-like than ever as he stared at Pettigrew with his fathomless eyes. "'No one's going to try and kill you until we've sorted a few things out,' said Lupin. "'Sorted things out?' squealed Pettigrew, looking wildly about him once more, eyes taking in the boarded windows and, again, the only door.
1: "'I knew he'd come after me! I knew he'd be back for
0: me! I've been waiting for this for
1: twelve years!'
0: "'You knew Sirius was going to break out of Azkaban?' said Lupin his brow furrowed, when nobody has ever done it before. "'He's got
1: dark powers the rest of us can only dream of!'
0: Pettigrew shouted shrilly.
1: "'How else did he get out of there? I suppose he who must not be named taught
0: him a few tricks?' Black started to laugh, a horrible, mirthless laugh that filled the whole room. Voldemort, teach me tricks!' he said. Pettigrew flinched as though Black had brandished a whip at him. "'What? Scared to hear your old master's name?' said Black. "'I don't blame you, Peter. His lot aren't very happy with you, are they?' don't know what you mean, Sirius,' muttered Pettigrew, his breathing faster than ever. His whole face was shining with sweat now. "'You haven't been hiding from me for twelve years.' said Black. You've been hiding from Voldemort's old supporters. I heard things in Azkaban, Peter. They all think you're dead, or you'd have to answer to them. I've heard them screaming all sorts of things in their sleep. Sounds like they think the double-crosser double-crossed them. Voldemort went to the potters on your information, and Voldemort met his downfall there. And not all Voldemort's supporters ended up in Azkaban, did they? There are still plenty out here, biding their time, pretending they've seen the error of their ways. If they ever got wind that you were still alive, Peter... Don't know what you're talking about said Pettigrew again, more shrilly than ever. He wiped his face on his sleeve and looked up at Lupin.
1: You don't believe this, this madness, Remus?
0: I must admit, Peter, I have difficulty in understanding why an innocent man would want to spend twelve years as a rat, said Lupin evenly. Innocent, but scared, squealed Pettigrew.
1: If Voldemort's supporters were after me, it was because I put one of their best men in Caban, the spy, Sidious Black.
0: Black's face contorted. "'How dare you?' he growled, sounding suddenly like the bear-sized dog he had been. I, a spy for Voldemort? "'When did I ever sneak around people who were stronger and more powerful than myself? "'But you, Peter, I'll never understand why I didn't see you were the spy from the start. "'You always liked big friends who'd look after you, didn't you? "'It used to be us, me, and Remus, and James.' Tigru wiped his face again. He was almost panting for breath.
1: Me, a spy, must be out of your mind. Never. Don't know how you can say such a... Lily
0: and James only made you secret keeper because I suggested it. Black hissed so venomously that Pettigrew took a step backward. I thought it was the perfect plan. A bluff. Voldemort would be sure to come after me. Would never dream they'd use a weak, talentless thing like you. It must have been the finest moment of your miserable life, telling Voldemort you could hand him the Potters. Pettigrew was muttering distractedly. Harry caught words like, Far-fetched! And, Lunacy! but he couldn't help paying more attention to the ashen color of Pettigrew's face and the way his eyes continued to dart toward the windows and door. Professor Lupin, said Hermione timidly, can can I say something? Certainly, Hermione, said Lupin courteously. Well, Scabbers, I mean, this, this man, he's been sleeping in Harry's dormitory for three years. If he's working for you-know-who, how come he never tried to hurt Harry before now? There! said Pettigrew shrilly, pointing at Ron with his maimed hand. "'Thank
1: you. You see, Remus, I have never hurt a hair of Harry's head. Why should I?'
0: "'I'll tell you why,' said Black. "'Because you never did anything for anyone unless you could see what was in it for you. Voldemort's been in hiding for fifteen years. They say he's half dead. You weren't about to commit murder right under Albus Dumbledore's nose for a wreck of a wizard who'd lost all his power, were you?' You'd want to be quite sure he was the biggest bully in the playground before you went back to him, wouldn't you? Why else did you find a wizard family to take you in? Keeping an ear out for news, weren't you, Peter? Just in case your old protector regained strength and it was safe to rejoin him. Pettigrew opened his mouth and closed it several times. He seemed to have lost the ability to talk. Ah, Mr. Black, serious," said Hermione. Black jumped at being addressed like this, and stared at Hermione as though he had never seen anything quite like her. If you don't mind me asking, how how did you get out of Azkaban if you didn't use dark magic? Thank you, gasped Pettigrew, nodding frantically at her. Exactly, precisely what I— But Lupin silenced him with a look. Black was frowning slightly at Hermione, but not as though he were annoyed with her. He seemed to be pondering his answer. I don't know how I did it, he said slowly. I think the only reason I never lost my mind is that I knew I was innocent. That wasn't a happy thought, so the Dementors couldn't suck it out of me. But it kept me sane and knowing who I am helped me keep my powers, so when it all became too much, I could transform in my cell, become a dog "'Dementors can't see, you know,' he swallowed. "'They feel their way toward people by feeding off their emotions. "'They could tell that my feelings were less, less human, "'less complex when I was a dog. "'But they thought, of course, that I was losing my mind "'like everyone else in there, so it didn't trouble them. "'But I was weak, very weak, "'and I had no hope of driving them away from me without a wand.' But then, I saw Peter in that picture. I realized he was at Hogwarts with Harry, perfectly positioned to act. If one hint reached his ears that the dark side was gathering strength again. Pettigrew was shaking his head, mouthing noiselessly, but staring all the while at Black as though hypnotized. Ready to strike at the moment he could be sure of allies, and to deliver the last potter to them. If he gave them Harry, who dare say he'd betrayed Lord Voldemort? He'd be welcomed back with honors. So, you see, I had to do something. I was the only one who knew Peter was still alive. Harry remembered what Mr. Weasley had told Mrs. Weasley. The guards say he's been talking in his sleep, always the same words. He's at Hogwarts. It was as if someone had lit a fire in my head, and the Dementors couldn't destroy it. It wasn't a happy feeling, it was an obsession, but it gave me strength, it cleared my mind. So one night, when they opened my door to bring food, I slipped past them as a dog— It's so much harder for them to sense animal emotions that they were confused. I was thin, very thin, thin enough to slip through the bars. I swam as a dog back to the mainland. I journeyed north and slipped into the Hogwarts grounds as a dog. I've been living in the forest ever since, except when I came to watch the Quidditch, of course. You fly as well as your father did, Harry. He looked at Harry, who did not look away. Believe me, croaked Black. Believe me, Harry. I never betrayed James and Lily. I would have died before I betrayed them. And at long last, Harry believed him. Throat too tight to speak, he nodded. No, Pettigrew had fallen to his knees as though Harry's nod had been his own death sentence. He shuffled forward on his knees, groveling, his hands clasped in front of him as though praying.
1: Sirius! It's me! It's Peter, your friend! You wouldn't—
0: Black kicked out, and Pettigrew recoiled. There's enough filth on my robes without you touching them, said Black. Remus! Remus! Pettigrew squeaked, turning to Lupin instead, writhing imploringly in front of him. You don't believe this? Wouldn't Sirius have told you they'd changed the plan? Not if he thought I was the spy, Peter, said Lupin. I assume that's why you didn't tell me, Sirius, he said casually over Pettigrew's head. Forgive me, Remus, said Black. Not at all, Padfoot, old friend said Lupin, who was now rolling up his sleeves. And will you, in turn, forgive me for believing you were the spy? Of course, said Black, and the ghost of a grin flitted across his gaunt face. He too began rolling up his sleeves. Shall we kill him together? Yes, I think so, said Lupin grimly. You wouldn't! You won't! gasped Pettigrew, and he scrambled around to run.
1: Run! i've been a good friend a good pet you won't let them kill me ron will you you're on my side aren't you
0: but ron was staring at pettigrew with the utmost revulsion i let you sleep in my bed he said kind boy kind master pettigrew crawled toward ron
1: you won't let them do it i was your rat i was a good pet
0: if you made a better rat than a human, it's not much to boast about, Peter, said Black harshly. Ron, going still paler with pain, wrenched his broken leg out of Pettigrew's reach. Pettigrew turned on his knees, staggered forward, and seized the hem of Hermione's robes.
1: Sweet girl, clever girl, you you won't let them. Help me.
0: Hermione pulled her robes out of Pettigrew's clutching hands and backed away against the wall, looking horrified. Pettigrew knelt, trembling uncontrollably, and turned his head slowly toward Harry.
1: Harry, Harry, you look just like your father, just like him.
0: How dare you speak to Harry, roared Black. How dare you face him? How dare you talk about James in front of him? Harry! Harry! whispered Pettigrew, shuffling toward him, hands outstretched.
1: Harry, James wouldn't have wanted me killed. James would have understood, Harry. He would have shown me mercy.
0: Both Black and Lupin strode forward, seized Pettigrew's shoulders, and threw him backward onto the floor. He sat there twitching with terror, staring up at them. You sold Lily and James to Voldemort, said Black, who was shaking too. Do you deny it? Pettigrew burst into tears. It was horrible to watch, like an oversized, balding baby cowering on the floor.
1: Sirius, Sirius, what could I have done? The Dark Lord! You have no idea! He has weapons you can't imagine! I was scared, Sirius. I was never brave like you and Remus and James. I never meant it to happen. He who must not be named forced
0: me. Don't lie! bellowed Black. You'd been passing information to him for a year before Lillian James died. You were his spy.
1: He... He was taking over everywhere,
0: gasped Pettigrew.
1: What... What was there to be gained by refusing him?
0: What was there to be gained by fighting the most evil wizard who has ever existed, said Black with a terrible fury in his face. Only innocent lives, Peter... Don't understand, whined Pettigrew. He
1: would have killed me, Sidious.
0: Then you should have died, roared Black. Died, rather than betray your friends, as we would have done for you. Black and Lupin stood shoulder to shoulder, ones raised. You should have realized, said Lupin quietly. If Voldemort didn't kill you, we would. Goodbye, Peter. Hermione covered her face with her hands and turned to the wall. ''No!'' Harry yelled. He ran forward, placing himself in front of Pettigrew, facing the ones. ''You can't kill him!'' he said breathlessly. ''You can't!'' Black and Lupin both looked staggered. ''Harry, this piece of vermin is the reason you have no parents!'' Black snarled. ''This cringing bit of filth would have seen you die too, without turning her hair. You heard him!'' His own stinking skin meant more to him than your whole family. I know, Harry panted. We'll take him up to the castle. We'll hand him over to the Dementors. He can go to Azkaban. But don't kill him. Harry, gasped Pettigrew, and he flung his arms around Harry's knees. You, thank you.
1: It's more than I deserve. Thank you.
0: Get off me. Harry spat, throwing Pettigrew's hands off him in disgust. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it because I don't reckon my dad would have wanted them to become killers just for you. No one moved or made a sound except Pettigrew, whose breath was coming in wheezes as he clutched his chest. Black and Lupin were looking at each other. Then, with one movement, they lowered their wands. You're the only person who has the right to decide, Harry, said Black. But think, think what he did. He can go to Azkaban, Harry repeated. If anyone deserves that place, he does. Pettigrew was still wheezing behind him. Very well, said Lupin. Stand aside, Harry. Harry hesitated. I'm going to tie him up, said Lupin. That's all, I swear. Harry stepped out of the way. Thin cords shot from Lupin's wand this time. The next moment, Pettigrew was wriggling on the floor, bound and gagged. "'But if you transform, Peter,' growled Black, his own wand pointing at Pettigrew too. "'We will kill you. You agree, Harry?' Harry looked down at the pitiful figure on the floor and nodded so that Pettigrew could see him. "'Right!' said Lupin, suddenly businesslike. "'Ron, I can't mend bones nearly as well as Madame Pomfrey, so I think it's best if we just strap your leg up until we can get you to the hospital wing.' He hurried over to Ron, bent down, tapped Ron's leg with his wand, and muttered, "'Ferula!' Bandages spun up Ron's leg, strapping it tightly to a splint. Lupin helped him to his feet. Ron put his weight gingerly on the leg and didn't wince. "'That's better,' he said. "'Thanks. What about Professor Snape?' said Hermione in a small voice, looking down at Snape's prone figure. "'There's nothing seriously wrong with him,' said Lupin, bending over Snape and checking his pulse. "'You were just a little over-enthusiastic, still out cold uh, "'Perhaps it will be best if we don't revive him until we're safely back in the castle. "'We can take him like this,' he muttered. Corpus. As though invisible strings were tied to Snape's wrists, neck, and knees, he was pulled into a standing position, head still lolling unpleasantly, like a grotesque puppet. He hung a few inches above the ground, his limp feet dangling. Lupin picked up the invisibility cloak and tucked it safely into his pocket. And two of us should be chained to this, said Black, nudging Pettigrew with his toe, just to make sure. I'll do it, said Lupin, and me said Ron, savagely limping forward. Black conjured heavy manacles from thin air. Soon Pettigrew was upright again, left arm chained to Lupin's right, right arm to Ron's left. Ron's face was set. He seemed to have taken Scabber's true identity as a personal insult. Crookshanks leapt lightly off the bed and led the way out of the room, his bottle brush tail held jauntily high. Chapter 20 The Dementor's Kiss Harry had never been part of a stranger group. Crookshanks led the way down the stairs. Lupin, Pettigrew, and Ron went next, looking like entrance in a six-legged race. Next came Professor Snape, drifting creepily along, his toes hitting each stair as they descended, held up by his own wand, which was being pointed at him by Sirius. Harry and Hermione brought up the rear— Getting back into the tunnel was difficult. Lupin, Pettigrew, and Ron had to turn sideways to manage it. Lupin still had Pettigrew covered with his wand. Harry could see them edging awkwardly along the tunnel in single file. Crookshanks was still in the lead. Harry went right after Black, who was still making Snape drift along ahead of them. He kept bumping his lolling head on the low ceiling. Harry had the impression Black was making no effort to prevent this. You know what this means... Black said abruptly to Harry as they made their slow progress along the tunnel. Turning Pettigrew in. You're free, said Harry. Yes, said Black. But I'm also—I don't know if anyone ever told you. I'm your godfather. Yeah, I knew that, said Harry. Well, your parents appointed me your guardian, said Black stiffly. If anything happened to them— Harry waited— Did Black mean what he thought he meant? I'll understand, of course, if you want to stay with your aunt and uncle, said Black. But, well, think about it. Once my name's cleared, if you wanted a a different home... Some sort of explosion took place in the pit of Harry's stomach. What? Live with you? He said, accidentally cracking his head on a bit of rock protruding from the ceiling. Leave the Dursleys? Of course, I thought you wouldn't want to, said Black quickly. I understand, I just thought I'd... Are you insane, said Harry, his voice easily as croaky as Black's. Of course I want to leave the Dursleys. Have you got a house? When can I move in? Black turned right around to look at him. Snape's head was scraping the ceiling, but Black didn't seem to care. You want to, he said. You mean it? Yeah, I mean it, said Harry. Black's gaunt face broke into the first true smile Harry had seen upon it. The difference it made was startling, as though a person ten years younger was shining through the starved mask. For a moment, he was recognizable as the man who had laughed at Harry's parents' wedding. They did not speak again until they had reached the end of the tunnel. Crookshanks darted up first. He had evidently pressed his paw to the knot on the trunk, because Lupin, Pettigrew, and Ron clambered upward without any sign of savaging branches. Black saw Snape up through the hole, then stood back for Harry and Hermione to pass. At last, all of them were out. The grounds were very dark now. The only light came from the distant windows of the castle. Without a word, they set off. Pettigrew was still wheezing and occasionally whimpering. Harry's mind was buzzing. He was going to leave the Dursleys. He was going to live with Sirius Black, his parents' best friend. He felt dazed. What would happen when he told the Dursleys he was going to live with the convict they'd seen on television? One wrong move, Peter, said Lupin, threateningly ahead. His wand was still pointed sideways at Pettigrew's chest. Silently, they tramped through the grounds, the castle lights growing slowly larger. Snape was still drifting weirdly ahead of Black, his chin bumping on his chest. And then... A cloud shifted. There was suddenly dim shadows on the ground. Their party was bathed in moonlight. Snape collided with Lupin, Pettigrew, and Ron, who had stopped abruptly. Black froze. He flung out one arm to make Harry and Hermione stop. Harry could see Lupin's silhouette. He had gone rigid. Then his limbs began to shake. "'Oh, my!' Hermione gasped. "'He didn't take his potion tonight. "'He's not safe. "'Run!' Black whispered. "'Run! Now!' But Harry couldn't run. Ron was chained to Pettigrew and Lupin. He leapt forward, but Black caught him around the chest and threw him back. "'Leave it to me! Run!' There was a terrible snarling noise. Lupin's head was lengthening. So was his body. His shoulders were hunching. Hair was sprouting visibly on his face and hands, which were curling into clawed paws. Cookshank's hair was on end again. He was backing away. As the werewolf reared, snapping its long jaws, Sirius disappeared from Harry's side. He had transformed, the enormous, bear-like dog bounded forward. As the werewolf wrenched itself free of the manacle binding it, the dog seized it about the neck and pulled it backward, away from Ron and Pettigrew. They were locked jaw to jaw, claws ripping at each other. Harry stood transfixed by the sight, too intent upon the battle to notice anything else. It was Amani's scream that alerted him pettigrew had died for lupin's dropped wand ron unsteady on his bandaged leg fell there was a bang a burst of light and ron lay motionless on the ground another bang cookshanks flew into the air and back to the earth in a heap Expelliarmus! harry yelled pointing his own wand at pettigrew lupin's wand flew high into the air and out of sight stay where you are harry shouted running forward too late Pettigrew had transformed. Harry saw his bald tail whip through the manacle on Ron's outstretched arm and heard a scurrying through the grass. There was a howl and a rumbling growl. Harry turned to see the werewolf taking flight. It was galloping into the forest. Sirius, he's gone! Pettigrew transformed! Harry yelled. Black was bleeding, there were gashes across his muzzle and back, but at Harry's words he scrambled up again, and in an instant the sound of his paws faded to silence as he pounded away across the grounds. Harry and Hermione dashed over to Ron. What did he do to him? Hermione whispered. Ron's eyes were only half closed. His mouth hung open. He was definitely alive. They could hear him breathing, but he didn't seem to recognize them. I don't know. Harry looked desperately around, Black and Lupin both gone. They had no one but Snape for company, still hanging unconscious in mid-air. "'We'd better get them up to the castle and tell someone,' said Harry, pushing his hair out of his eyes, trying to think straight. "'Come!' But then, from beyond the range of their vision, they heard a yelping, a whining, a dog in pain. "'Serious!' Harry muttered, staring into the darkness. He had a moment's indecision, but there was nothing they could do for Ron at the moment, and by the sound of it, Black was in trouble. Harry set off at a run, Hermione right behind him. The yelping seemed to be coming from the ground near the edge of the lake. They pelted toward it, and Harry, running flat out, felt the cold without realizing what it must mean. The yelping stopped abruptly. As they reached the lakeshore, they saw why. Sirius had turned back into a man. He was crouched on all fours his hands over his head. No! he moaned. No! Please! And then Harry saw them. Dementors, at least a hundred of them gliding in a black mass around the lake toward them. He spun round, the familiar icy cold penetrating his insides, fog starting to obscure his vision. More were appearing out of the darkness on every side. They were encircling them, Hermione, think of something happy, Harry yelled, raising his wand, blinking furiously to try and clear his vision, shaking his head to rid it of the faint screaming that had started inside it. I'm going to live with my godfather. I'm leaving the Dursleys. He forced himself to think of Black, and only Black, and began to chant, Expecto Patronum, Expecto Patronum. Black gave a shudder, rolled over, and lay motionless on the ground, pale as death. "'He'll be all right. "'I'm going to go and live with him. "'Expecto Patronum! "'Hermani, help me! "'Expecto Patronum! "'Expecto!' Hermani whispered. "'Expecto! "'Expecto!' "'But she couldn't do it. "'The Dementors were closing in barely ten feet from them. "'They formed a solid wall around Harry and Hermani "'and were getting closer. "'Expecto Patronum!' "'Harry yelled, trying to bluff the screaming from his ears. "'Expecto Patronum!' A thin wisp of silver escaped his wand and hovered like mist before him. At the same moment, Harry felt Hermione collapse next to him. He was alone, completely alone. Expecto, expecto patronum. Harry felt his knees hit the cold grass. Fog was clouding his eyes. With a huge effort, he fought to remember. Sirius was innocent. Innocent. We'll be okay. I'm going to live with him. Expecto Patronum, he gasped. By the feeble light of his formless Patronus, he saw a Dementor halt very close to him. It couldn't walk through the cloud of silver mist Harry had conjured. A dead, slimy hand slid out from under the cloak. It made a gesture as though to sweep the Patronus aside. No! No! Harry gasped. He's innocent! Expecto! Expecto! Patronum! He could feel them watching him, hear their rattling breath like an evil wind around him. The nearest Dementor seemed to be considering him. Then it raised both its rotting hands and lowered its hood. Where there should have been eyes, there was only thin, grey, scabbed skin, stretched blankly over empty sockets. But there was a mouth, a gaping, shapeless hole, sucking the air with the sound of a death rattle. A paralyzing terror filled Harry so that he couldn't move or speak. His Patronus flickered and died. White fog was blinding him. He had to fight. Expecto Patronum! He couldn't see, and in the distance he heard the familiar screaming. Expecto Patronum! He groped in the mist for Sirius and found his arm. They weren't going to take him. But a pair of strong, clammy hands suddenly attached themselves around Harry's neck. They were forcing his face upward. He could feel its breath. It was going to get rid of him first. He could feel its putrid breath. His mother was screaming in his ears. She was going to be the last thing he ever heard. And then, through the fog that was drowning him, he thought he saw a silvery light growing brighter and brighter. He felt himself fall forward onto the grass. Face down, too weak to move, sick and shaking, Harry opened his eyes. The Dementor must have released him. The blinding light was illuminating the grass around him. The screaming had stopped. The cold was ebbing away. Something was Driving the Dementors back. It was circling around him and Black and Hermione. They were leaving. The air was warm again. With every ounce of strength he could muster, Harry raised his head a few inches and saw an animal amid the light galloping away across the lake. Eyes blurred with sweat, Harry tried to make out what it was. It was as bright as a unicorn "'Fighting to stay conscious, Harry watched it canter to a halt "'as it reached the opposite shore. "'For a moment, Harry saw, by its brightness, "'somebody welcoming it back, raising his hand to pat it, "'someone who looked strangely familiar. "'But it couldn't be. "'Harry didn't understand. "'He couldn't think any more. "'He felt the last of his strength leave him.' and his head hit the ground as he fainted. Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret Shocking business, shocking. Miracle none of them died. Never heard the like. By thunder, it was lucky you were there, Snape. Thank you, Minister. Order of Merlin, second class, I'd say. First class, if I can wangle it. Thank you very much indeed, Minister. Nasty cat you've got there. "'Black's work, I suppose?' "'As a matter of fact, it was Potter, Weasley, and Granger, Minister.' "'No. Black had bewitched them. I saw it immediately, a confundus charm to judge by their behaviour. They seemed to think there was a possibility he was innocent. They weren't responsible for their actions. On the other hand, their interference might have permitted Black to escape.' They obviously thought they were going to catch Black single-handed. They've got away with a great deal before now. I'm afraid it's given them a rather high opinion of themselves. And of course, Potter has always been allowed an extraordinary amount of license by the headmaster. Ah, well, Snape. Harry Potter, you know. We've all got a bit of a blind spot where he's concerned. And yet... Is it good for him to be given so much special treatment? Personally, I try and treat him like any other student, and any other student would be suspended, at the very least, for leading his friends into such danger. Consider, Minister, against all school rules, after all the precautions put in place for his protection, out of bounds at night, consorting with a werewolf and a murderer. And I have reason to believe he has been visiting Hogsmeade illegally, too. Well, well, we shall see, Snape, we shall see. The boy has undoubtedly been foolish. Harry lay listening with his eyes tight shut. He felt very groggy. The words he was hearing seemed to be traveling very slowly from his ears to his brain, so that it was difficult to understand. His limbs felt like lead, his eyelids too heavy to lift. He wanted to lie here on this comfortable bed forever. What amazes me most is the behavior of the Dementors. You've really no idea what made them retreat, Snape? "'No, Minister. By the time I had come round, they were heading back to their positions at the entrances. Extraordinary. And yet, Black and Harry and the girl, all unconscious by the time I reached them. I bound and gagged Black, naturally, conjured stretchers, and brought them all straight back to the castle.' There was a pause. Harry's brain seemed to be moving a little faster, and as it did, a gnawing sensation grew in the pit of his stomach. He opened his eyes. Everything was slightly blurred. Somebody had removed his glasses. He was lying in the dark hospital wing. At the very end of the ward, he could make out Madame Pomfrey with her back to him, bending over a bed. Harry squinted. Ron's red hair was visible beneath Madame Pomfrey's arm. Harry moved his head over on the pillow. In the bed to his right lay Hermione. Moonlight was falling across her bed. Her eyes were open, too. She looked petrified, and when she saw that Harry was awake, pressed a finger to her lips, then pointed to the hospital wing door. It was ajar, and the voices of Cornelius Fudge and Snape were coming through it from the corridor outside." Madame Pomfrey now came walking briskly up the dark ward to Harry's bed. He turned to look at her. She was carrying the largest block of chocolate he had ever seen in his life. It looked like a small boulder. Ah, you're awake, she said briskly. She placed the chocolate on Harry's bedside table and began breaking it apart with a small hammer. How's Ron, said Harry and Hermione together. He'll live, said Madame Pomfrey grimly. As for you two, you'll be staying here until I'm satisfied you're... Potter, what do you think you're doing? Harry was sitting up, putting his glasses back on and picking up his wand. I need to see the headmaster, he said. Potter, said Madame Pomfrey soothingly. It's all right. They've got Black. He's locked away upstairs. The Dementors will be performing the kiss any moment now. What? What? Harry jumped up out of bed. Hermione had done the same, but his shout had been heard in the corridor outside. Next second, Cornelius Fudge and Snape had entered the ward. "'Harry, Harry, what's this?' said Fudge, looking agitated. "'You should be in bed. "'Has he had any chocolate?' he asked Madame Pomfrey anxiously. "'Minister, listen,' Harry said. "'Sirius Black's innocent. "'Peter Pettigrew faked his own death.' We saw him tonight. You can't let the Dementors do that thing to Sirius. He's... But Fudge was shaking his head with a small smile on his face. Harry, Harry, you're very confused. You've been through a dreadful ordeal. Lie back down now. We've got everything under control. You haven't, Harry yelled. You've got the wrong man. Minister, listen, please. Hermione said. She had hurried to Harry's side and was gazing imploringly into Fudge's face. I saw him too. It was Ron's rat. He's an animagus. Pettigrew, I mean, and... You see, Minister, said Snape, confunded both of them. Black's done a very good job on them. We're not confunded, Harry roared. Minister, Professor... "'said Madame Pomfrey angrily. "'I must insist that you leave. "'Potter is my patient, and he should not be distressed. "'I'm not distressed. "'I'm trying to tell them what happened,' Harry said furiously. "'If they'd just listen.' "'But Madame Pomfrey suddenly stuffed a large chunk of chocolate into Harry's mouth. "'He choked, and she seized the opportunity to force him back onto the bed. "'Now, please, minister, these children need care. "'Please leave.' The door opened again. It was Dumbledore. Harry swallowed his mouthful of chocolate with great difficulty and got up again. Professor Dumbledore, Sirius Black. For heaven's sake, said Madame Pomfrey hysterically. Is this a hospital wing or not? Headmaster, I must insist. My apologies, Poppy, but I need a word. With Mr. Potter and Miss Granger, said Dumbledore calmly. I have just been talking to Sirius Black. I suppose he's told you the same fairy tale he's planted in Potter's mind, spat Snape. Something about a rat and pettigrew being alive. That indeed is Black's story, said Dumbledore, surveying Snape closely through his half-moon spectacles. And does my evidence count for nothing, snarled Snape, Peter Pettigrew was not in the shrieking shack, nor did I see any sign of him on the grounds. That was because you were knocked out, Professor, said Hermione earnestly. You didn't arrive in time to hear. Miss Granger, hold your tongue. Now, Snape, said Fudge, startled. The young lady is disturbed in her mind. We must make allowances. I would like to speak to Harry and Hermione alone, said Dumbledore abruptly. Cornelius, Severus, Poppy, please leave us. Headmaster, sputtered Madame Pomfrey. They need treatment. They need rest. This cannot wait, said Dumbledore. I must insist. Madame Pomfrey pursed her lips and strode away into her office at the end of the ward, slamming the door behind her. Fudge consulted the large gold pocket watch dangling from his waistcoat. "'The Dementors should have arrived by now,' he said. "'I'll go and meet them, Dumbledore. I'll see you upstairs.' He crossed to the door and held it open for Snape, but Snape hadn't moved. "'You surely don't believe a word of Black's Story?' Snape whispered, his eyes fixed on Dumbledore's face. "'I wish to speak to Harry and Hermione alone,' Dumbledore repeated." Snape took a step toward Dumbledore. Sirius Black showed he was capable of murder at the age of sixteen, he breathed. You haven't forgotten that, Headmaster? You haven't forgotten that he once tried to kill me? My memory is as good as it ever was, Severus, said Dumbledore quietly. Snape turned on his heel and marched through the door Fudge was still holding. It closed behind them, and Dumbledore turned to Harry and Hermione. They both burst into speech at the same time. Professor, Black's telling the truth. We saw Pettigrew. He escaped when Professor Lupin turned into a werewolf. He's a rat. Pettigrew's front paw, I mean finger, he cut it off. Pettigrew attacked Ron. It wasn't serious. But Dumbledore held up his hand to stem the flood of explanations. It is your turn to listen, and I beg you will not interrupt me, because there is very little time, he said quietly. There is not a shred of proof to support Black's story, except your word, and the word of two thirteen-year-old wizards will not convince anybody. A street full of eyewitnesses swore they saw serious murder Pettigrew— I myself gave evidence to the Ministry that Sirius had been the Potter's secret keeper. Professor Lupin can tell you, Harry said, unable to stop himself. Professor Lupin is currently deep in the forest, unable to tell anyone anything. By the time he is human again, it will be too late. Sirius will be worse than dead. I might add— that werewolves are so mistrusted by most of our kind that his support will count for very little, and the fact that he and Sirius are old friends. But listen to me, Harry, it is too late, you understand me? You must see that Professor Snape's version of events is far more convincing than yours. He hates Sirius, Hermione said desperately, all because of some stupid trick Sirius played on him. "'Sirius has not acted like an innocent man. "'The attack on the fat lady, entering Gryffindor Tower with a knife, "'without Pettigrew alive or dead, "'we have no chance of overturning Sirius's sentence.' "'But you believe us?' "'Yes, I do,' said Dumbledore quietly. "'But I have no power to make other men see the truth, "'or to overrule the Minister of Magic.' Harry stared up into the grave face and felt as though the ground beneath him were falling sharply away. He had grown used to the idea that Dumbledore could solve anything. He had expected Dumbledore to pull some amazing solution out of the air, but no, their last hope was gone. What we need, said Dumbledore slowly, and his light blue eyes moved from Harry to Hermione, is more time. But, Hermione began, and then her eyes became very round. Oh! Now, pay attention, said Dumbledore, speaking very low and very clearly. Sirius is locked in Professor Flitwick's office on the seventh floor, thirteenth window from the right of the West Tower. If all goes well, you will be able to save more than one innocent life tonight. But remember this, both of you, you must not be seen. Miss Granger, you know the law. You know what is at stake. You must not be seen. Harry didn't have a clue what was going on. Dumbledore had turned on his heel and looked back as he reached the door. I'm going to lock you in. It is, he consulted his watch, five minutes to midnight. Miss Granger, three turns should do it. Good luck. Good luck, Harry repeated as the door closed behind Dumbledore. Three turns? What's he talking about? What are we supposed to do? But Hermione was fumbling with the neck of her robes, pulling from beneath them a very long, very fine gold chain. Harry, come here, she said urgently. Quick! Harry moved toward her, completely bewildered. She was holding the chain out. He saw a tiny, sparkling hourglass hanging from it. Here! She had thrown the chain around his neck, too. Ready? She said, breathlessly. What are we doing? Harry said, completely lost. Hermione turned the hourglass over three times. The dark ward dissolved. Harry had the sensation that he was flying very fast, backward. A blur of colors and shapes rushed past him. His ears were pounding. He tried to yell but couldn't hear his own voice. And then he felt solid ground beneath his feet, and everything came into focus again. He was standing next to Hermione in the deserted entrance hall, and a stream of golden sunlight was falling across the paved floor from the open front doors. He looked wildly around at Hermione, the chain of the hourglass cutting into his neck, Hermione? What? In here? Hermione seized Harry's arm and dragged him across the hall to the door of a broom closet. She opened it, pushed him inside among the buckets and mops, then slammed the door behind them. What? How? Hermione, what happened? We've gone back in time, Hermione whispered, lifting the chain off Harry's neck in the darkness. Three hours back. Harry found his own leg and gave it a very hard pinch, It hurt a lot, which seemed to rule out the possibility that he was having a very bizarre dream. But, shh, listen, someone's coming. I think, I think it might be us. Hermione had her ear pressed against the cupboard door. Footsteps across the hall. Yes, I think it's us going down to Hagrid's. Are you telling me, Harry whispered, that we're here in this cupboard... And we're out there, too? Yes, said Hermione, her ear still glued to the cupboard door. I'm sure it's us. It doesn't sound like more than three people. And we're walking slowly because we're under the invisibility cloak. She broke off, still listening intently. We've gone down the front steps. Hermione sat down on an upturned bucket, looking desperately anxious. But Harry wanted a few questions answered. Where did you get that hourglass thing? It's called a time-turner, Hermione whispered, and I got it from Professor McGonigal on our first day back. I've been using it all year to get to all my lessons. Professor McGonigal made me swear I wouldn't tell anyone. She had to write all sorts of letters to the Ministry of Magic so I could have one. She had to tell them that I was a model student, that I'd never, ever use it for anything except my studies. I've been turning it back so I could do hours over again. That's how I've been doing several lessons at once, see? But, Harry, I don't understand what Dumbledore wants us to do. Why did he tell us to go back three hours? How's that going to help Sirius? Harry stared at her shadowy face. There must be something that happened around now. He wants us to change, he said slowly. What happened? We were walking down to Hagrid's three hours ago. This is three hours ago, and we are walking down to Hagrid's, said Hermione. We just heard ourselves leaving. Harry frowned. He felt as though he was screwing up his whole brain in concentration. Dumbledore just said "Just said we could save more than one innocent life. And then it hit him. Amani, we're going to save Buckbeak. But how will that help Sirius? Dumbledore said. He just told us where the window is, the window of Flitwick's office where they've got Sirius locked up. We've got to fly Buckbeak up to the window and rescue Sirius. Sirius can escape on Buckbeak. They can escape together. From what Harry could see of Hermione's face, she looked terrified. If we manage that without being seen, it'll be a miracle. Well, we've got to try, haven't we? said Harry. He stood up and pressed his ear against the door. Doesn't sound like anyone's there. Come on, let's go. Harry pushed open the closet door. The entrance hall was deserted. As quietly and quickly as they could, they darted out of the closet and down the stone steps. The shadows were already lengthening. The tops of the trees in the Forbidden Forest gilded once more with gold. If anyone's looking out of the window... Hermione squeaked, looking up at the castle behind them. We'll run for it, said Harry determinedly. Straight into the forest, all right? We'll have to hide behind a tree or something and keep a lookout. Okay, but we'll go around by the greenhouses said Hermione breathlessly. We need to keep out of sight of Hagrid's front door, or we'll see us. We must be nearly at Hagrid's by now. Still working out what she meant, Harry set off at a sprint, Hermione behind him. They tore across the vegetable gardens to the greenhouses, paused for a moment behind them, then set off again, fast as they could, skirting around the whomping willow, tearing toward the shelter of the forest. Safe in the shadows of the trees, Harry turned around. Seconds later, Hermione arrived beside him, panting. Right, she gasped. We need to sneak over to Hagrid's. Keep out of sight, Harry. They made their way silently through the trees, keeping to the very edge of the forest. Then, as they glimpsed the front of Hagrid's house, they heard a knock upon his door. They moved quickly behind a wide oak trunk and peered out from either side. Hagrid had appeared in his doorway, shaking and white, looking around to see who had knocked, and Harry heard his own voice. It's us. We're wearing the invisibility cloak. Let us in, and we can take it off. You shouldn't have come, Hagrid whispered. He stood back, then shut the door quickly. This is the weirdest thing we've ever done, Harry said fervently. Let's move along a bit. Hermione whispered. We need to get nearer to Buckbeak. They crept through the trees until they saw the nervous hippogriff tethered to the fence around Hagrid's pumpkin patch. Now, Harry whispered. No, said Hermione. If we steal him now, those committee people will think Hagrid set him free. We've got to wait until they've seen he's tied outside. That's going to give us about sixty seconds, said Harry. This was starting to seem impossible. At that moment, there was a crash of breaking china from inside Hagrid's cabin. That's Hagrid breaking the milk jug, Hermione whispered. I'm going to find scabbers in a moment. Sure enough, a few minutes later, they heard Hermione's shriek of surprise. Hermione, said Harry suddenly, what if we... We just run in there and grab Pettigrew. No! No! "'said Hermione in a terrified whisper. "'Don't you understand? "'We're breaking one of the most important wizarding laws. "'Nobody's supposed to change time. "'Nobody. "'You heard, Dumbledore, if we're seen, "'we'd only be seen by ourselves and Hagrid. "'Harry, what do you think you'd do "'if you saw yourself bursting into Hagrid's house?' "'said Hermione. "'I'd... "'I'd think I'd gone mad,' said Harry.' Or I'd think there was some dark magic going on. Exactly. You wouldn't understand. You might even attack yourself. Don't you see? Professor McGonagall told me what awful things have happened when wizards have meddled with time. Loads of them ended up killing their past or future selves by mistake. Okay, said Harriet. It was just an idea. I just thought. But Hermione nudged him and pointed toward the castle. Harry moved his head a few inches to get a clear view of the distant front doors. Dumbledore, Fudge, the old committee member, and McNair, the executioner, were coming down the steps. We're about to come out, Hermione breathed. And, sure enough, moments later, Hagrid's back door opened, and Harry saw himself, Ron, and Hermione walking out of it with Hagrid. It was, without a doubt, the strangest sensation of his life, standing behind the tree and watching himself in the pumpkin patch. "'It's okay, Beaky, it's okay,' Hagrid said to Buckbeak. Then he turned to Harry, Ron, and Hermione. "'Go on, get going. "'Hagrid, we can't. "'We'll tell them what really happened. "'They can't kill him. "'Go! "'It's bad enough without you lot in trouble and all.' Harry watched the Hermione and the pumpkin patch throw the invisibility cloak over him and Ron. Go, quick! Don't listen! There was a knock on Hagrid's front door. The execution party had arrived. Hagrid turned around and headed back into his cabin, leaving the back door ajar. Harry watched the grass flatten in patches all around the cabin, and heard three pairs of feet retreating. He, Ron, and Hermione had gone but the Harry and Hermione hidden in the trees could now hear what was happening inside the cabin through the back door. Where is the beast? came the cold voice of McNair. Out, outside, Hagrid croaked. Harry pulled his head out of sight as McNair's face appeared at Hagrid's window, staring out at Buckbeak. Then they heard fudge. We are... I have to read you the official notice of execution, Hagrid. I'll make it quick, and then you and McNair need to sign it. McNair, you're supposed to listen, too. That's procedure. McNair's face vanished from the window. It was now or never. Wait here, Harry whispered to Hermione. I'll do it. As Fudge's voice started again, Harry darted out from behind his tree, vaulted the fence into the pumpkin patch, and approached Buckbeak. It is the decision of the committee for the disposal of dangerous creatures that the hippogriff Buckbeak, hereafter called the Condemned, shall be executed on the 6th of June at sundown. Careful not to blink, Harry stared up into Buckbeak's fierce orange eyes once more and bowed. Buckbeak sank to his scaly knees and then stood up again. Harry began to fumble with the knot of rope tying Buckbeak to the fence sentenced to execution by beheading, to be carried out by the committee's appointed executioner, Walden McNair. Come on, Buckbeak, Harry murmured. Come on, we're going to help you. Quietly, quietly. As witnessed below. Hagrid, you sign here. Harry threw all his weight onto the rope, but Buckbeak had dug in his front feet. Well, let's get this over with said the reedy voice of the committee member from inside Hagrid's cabin. Hagrid, perhaps it will be better if you stay inside. No, I I want to be with him. I don't want him to be alone. Footsteps echoed from within the cabin. Buckbeak, move, Harry hissed. Harry tugged harder on the rope around Buckbeak's neck. The hippogriff began to walk, rustling its wings irritably. They were still ten feet away from the forest, in plain view of Hagrid's back door. One moment, please, McNair, came Dumbledore's voice. You need to sign, too. The footsteps stopped. Harry heaved on the rope. Buckbeak snapped his beak and walked a little faster. Hermione's white face was sticking out from behind a tree. Harry, hurry, she mouthed. Harry could still hear Dumbledore's voice talking from within the cabin. He gave the rope another wrench. Buckbeak broke into a grudging trot. They had reached the trees. Quick, quick, Hermione moaned, darting out from behind her tree, seizing the rope too and adding her weight to make Buckbeak move faster. Harry looked over his shoulder. They were now blocked from sight. They couldn't see Hagrid's garden at all. Stop, he whispered to Hermione. They might hear us. Hagrid's back door had opened with a bang. Harry, Hermione, and Buckbeak stood quite still. Even the hippogriff seemed to be listening intently. Silence. Then, Where is it? said the reedy voice of the committee member. Where is the beast? It was tied here, said the executioner furiously. I saw it, just here. How extraordinary, said Dumbledore. There was a note of amusement in his voice. "'Beaky!' said Hagrid huskily. There was a swishing noise and the thud of an axe. The executioner seemed to have swung it into the fence in anger. And then came the howling, and this time they could hear Hagrid's words through the sobs. "'Gone! Gone! Bless his little beak! He's gone! Must have pulled himself free! Beaky, you clever boy!' Buckbeak started to strain against the rope, trying to get back to Hagrid. Harry and Hermione tightened their grip and dug their heels into the forest floor to stop him. Someone untied him, the executioner was snarling. We should search the grounds, the forest. McNair, if Buckbeak has indeed been stolen, do you really think the thief will have led him away on foot? Said Dumbledore, still sounding amused. Search the skies, if you will. Hagrid, I could do with a cup of tea, or a large brandy. Oh, of course, Professor, said Hagrid, who sounded weak with happiness. Come in, come in. Harry and Hermione listened closely. They heard footsteps, the soft cursing of the executioner, the snap of the door, and then silence once more. Now what? whispered Harry, looking around. We'll have to hide in here, said Hermione, who looked very shaken. We need to wait until they've gone back to the castle. Then we wait until it's safe to fly Buckbeak up to Sirius's window. He won't be there
1: for another couple of hours. Ooh, this is going to be difficult.
0: She looked nervously over her shoulder into the depths of the forest. The sun was setting now. We're going to have to move said Harry, thinking hard. We've got to be able to see the whomping willow, or we won't know what's going on. Okay, said Hermione, getting a firmer grip on Buckbeak's rope. But we've got to keep out of sight, Harry, remember. They moved around the edge of the forest, darkness falling thickly around them, until they were hidden behind a clump of trees through which they could make out the willow. There's Ron, said Harry suddenly, A dark figure was sprinting across the lawn, and its shout echoed through the still night air. Get away from him! Get away! Scabbers! Come here! And then they saw two more figures materialize out of nowhere. Harry watched himself and Hermione chasing after Ron. Then he saw Ron dive. Gotcha! Get off, you stinking cat! They're serious, said Harry. The great shape of the dog had bounded out from the roots of the willow. They saw him bowl Harry over, then seize Ron. "'Looks even worse from here, doesn't it?' said Harry, watching the dog pulling Ron into the roots. "'Ouch! Look! I just got walloped by the tree, and so did you. This is weird!' The whomping willow was creaking and lashing out with its lower branches. They could see themselves darting here and there, trying to reach the trunk, and then the tree froze. "'That was Crookshanks pressing the knot,' said Hermione. And there we go, Harry muttered. We're in. The moment they disappeared, the tree began to move again. Seconds later, they heard footsteps quite close by. Dumbledore, McNair, Fudge, and the old committee member were making their way up to the castle. Right after we'd gone down into the passage, said Hermione. If only Dumbledore had come with us. McNair and Fudge would have come too, Said Harry bitterly. I bet you anything Fudge would have told McNair to murder Sirius on the spot. They watched the four men climb the castle steps and disappear from view. For a few minutes the scene was deserted, then. Here comes Lupin, said Harry, as they saw another figure sprinting down the stone steps and herring toward the willow. Harry looked up at the sky. Clouds were obscuring the moon completely. They watched Lupin seize a broken branch from the ground and prod the knot on the trunk. The tree stopped fighting, and Lupin, too, disappeared into the gap in its roots. "'If only he'd grabbed the cloak,' said Harry. "'It's just lying there.' He turned to Hermione. "'If I dashed out now and grabbed it, Snape would never be able to get it, and—' "'Harry, we mustn't be seen.' "'How can you stand this?' he asked Hermione fiercely. "'Just standing here and watching it happen.' He hesitated. I'm going to grab the cloak. Harry, no! Hermione seized the back of Harry's robes not a moment too soon. Just then, they heard a burst of song. It was Hagrid making his way up to the castle, singing at the top of his voice and weaving slightly as he walked. A large bottle was swinging from his hands. See? Hermione whispered. See what would have happened? We've got to keep out of sight. No, Buckbeak! The hippogriff was making frantic attempts to get to Hagrid again. Harry seized his rope too, straining to hold Buckbeak back. They watched Hagrid meander tipsily up to the castle. He was gone. Buckbeak stopped fighting to get away. His head drooped sadly. Barely two minutes later, the castle doors flew open yet again, and Snape came charging out of them, running toward the willow. Harry's fists clenched as they watched Snape skid to a halt next to the tree, looking around. He grabbed the cloak and held it up. Get your filthy hands off it, Harry snarled under his breath. Shh! Snape seized the branch Lupin had used to freeze the tree, prodded the knot, and vanished from view as he put on the cloak. So that's it, said Hermione quietly. We're all down there. And now we've just got to wait until we come back up again. She took the end of Buckbeak's rope and tied it securely around the nearest tree, then sat down on the dry ground, arms around her knees. Harry, there's something I don't understand. Why didn't the Dementors get serious? I remember them coming, and then I think I passed out. There were so many of them. Harry sat down too. He explained what he'd seen, how, as the nearest Dementor had lowered its mouth to Harry's, a large silver something had come galloping across the lake and forced the Dementors to retreat. Hermione's mouth was slightly open by the time Harry had finished. But what was it? There's only one thing it could have been, to make the Dementors go, said Harry, a real Patronus, a powerful one. But who conjured it? Harry didn't say anything. He was thinking back to the person he'd seen on the other bank of the lake. He knew who he thought it had been, but how could it have been? "'Didn't you see what they looked like?' said Hermione eagerly. "'Was it one of the teachers?' "'No,' said Harry. "'He wasn't a teacher.' It must have been a really powerful wizard to drive all those Dementors away. If the Patronus was shining so brightly, didn't it light him up? Couldn't you see? Yeah, I saw him, said Harry slowly. But maybe I imagined it. I wasn't thinking straight. I passed out right afterward. Who did you think it was? I think, Harry swallowed, knowing how strange this was going to sound. I think it was my dad. Harry glanced up at Hermione and saw that her mouth was fully open now. She was gazing at him with a mixture of alarm and pity. Harry, your dad's, well, dead, she said quietly. I know that, said Harry quickly. You think you saw his ghost? I don't know. No, he looks solid. But then maybe I was seeing things said Harry, but from what I could see, it looked like him. I've got photos of him. Hermione was still looking at him as though worried about his sanity. I know it sounds crazy, said Harry flatly. He turned to look at Buckbeak, who was digging his beak into the ground, apparently searching for worms. But he wasn't really watching Buckbeak. He was thinking about his father, and about his father's three oldest friends, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and prongs. Had all four of them been out on the grounds tonight? Wormtail had reappeared this evening when everyone had thought he was dead. Was it so impossible his father had done the same? Had he been seeing things across the lake? The figure had been too far away to see distinctly, yet he had felt sure for a moment before he'd lost consciousness. The leaves overhead rustled faintly in the breeze— The moon drifted in and out of sight behind the shifting clouds. Hermione sat with her face turned toward the willow, waiting. And then, at last, after over an hour, Here we come, Hermione whispered. She and Harry got to their feet. Buckbeak raised his head. They saw Lupin, Ron, and Pettigrew clambering awkwardly out of the hole in the roots. Then came Hermione, then the unconscious Snape, drifting weirdly upward. Next came Harry and Black. They all began to walk toward the castle. Harry's heart was starting to beat very fast. He glanced up at the sky. Any moment now, that cloud was going to move aside and show the moon. Harry, Hermione muttered, as though she knew exactly what he was thinking. We've got to stay put. We mustn't be seen. There's nothing we can do. So we're just going to let Pettigrew escape all over again, said Harry quietly. How do we expect to find a rat in the dark? Snapped Hermione. There's nothing we can do. We came back to help Sirius. We're not supposed to be doing anything else. All right. The moon slid out from behind its cloud. They saw the tiny figures across the grounds stop. Then they saw movement. There goes Lupin, Hermione whispered. He's transforming. Hermione said Harry suddenly. We've got to move. We mustn't. I keep telling you not to interfere. Lupin's going to run into the forest right at us. Hermione gasped. Quick, she moaned, dashing to untie Buckbeak. Quick, where are we going to go? Where are we going to hide? The Dementors will be coming any moment. Back to Hagrid's, Harry said. It's empty now. Come on. They ran as fast as they could, Buckbeak cantering along behind them. They could hear the werewolf howling behind them. The cabin was in sight. Harry skidded to the door, wrenched it open, and Hermione and Buckbeak flashed past him. Harry threw himself in after them and bolted the door. Fang, the boarhound, barked loudly. Shh, Fang, it's us, said Hermione, hurrying over and scratching his ears to quieten him. That was really close, she said to Harry. Yeah. Harry was looking out of the window. It was much harder to see what was going on from here. Buckbeak seemed very happy to find himself back inside Hagrid's house. He lay down in front of the fire, folded his wings contentedly, and seemed ready for a good nap. I think I'd better go outside again, you know, said Harry slowly. I can't see what's going on. We won't know when it's time. Hermione looked up. Her expression was suspicious. I'm not going to try and interfere, said Harry quickly, but if we don't see what's going on, how are we going to know when it's time to rescue Sirius? Well, okay then, I'll wait here with Buckbeak, but Harry, be careful, there's a werewolf out there, and the Dementors. Harry stepped outside again and edged around the cabin. He could hear yelping in the distance. That meant the Dementors were closing in on Sirius. He and Hermione would be running to him any moment. Harry stared out toward the lake, his heart doing a kind of drum roll in his chest. Whoever had sent that Patronus would be appearing at any moment. For a fraction of a second he stood, irresolute, in front of Hagrid's door. You must not be seen. But he didn't want to be seen. He wanted to do the seeing. He had to know. And there were the Dementors. They were emerging out of the darkness from every direction, gliding around the edges of the lake. They were moving away from where Harry stood to the opposite bank. He wouldn't have to get near them. Harry began to run. He had no thought in his head except his father. If it was him, if it really was him, he had to know, had to find out. The lake was coming nearer and nearer, but there was no sign of anybody. On the opposite bank he could see tiny glimmers of silver, his own attempts at a patronus. There was a bush at the very edge of the water. Harry threw himself behind it, peering desperately through the leaves. On the opposite bank, the glimmers of silver were suddenly extinguished. A terrified excitement shot through him at any moment now. Come on, he muttered, staring about. Where are you? Dad, come on. But no one came. Harry raised his head to look at the circle of Dementors across the lake. One of them was lowering its hood. It was time for the rescuer to appear, but no one was coming to help this time. And then it hit him. He understood. He hadn't seen his father. He had seen himself. Harry flung himself out from behind the bush and pulled out his wand. Expecto Patronum! he yelled. And out of the end of his wand burst, not a shapeless cloud of mist, but a blinding, dazzling silver animal. He screwed up his eyes trying to see what it was. It looked like a horse. It was galloping silently away from him across the black surface of the lake. He saw it lower its head and charge at the swarming Dementors. Now it was galloping around and around the black shapes on the ground, and the Dementors were falling back, scattering, retreating into the darkness. They were gone. The Patronus turned. It was cantering back toward Harry across the still surface of the water. It wasn't a horse. It wasn't a unicorn, either. It was a stag. It was shining brightly as the moon above. It was coming back to him. It stopped on the bank. Its hooves made no mark on the soft ground as it stared at Harry with its large silver eyes— Slowly, it bowed its antlered head, and Harry realized. "'Prongs!' he whispered. But as his trembling fingertips stretched toward the creature, it vanished. Harry stood there, hands still outstretched. Then, with a great leap of his heart, he heard hooves behind him. He whirled around and saw Hermione dashing toward him, dragging Buckbeak behind her. "'What did you do?' she said fiercely. You said you were only going to keep a lookout. I just saved all our lives, said Harry. Get behind here, behind this bush. I'll explain. Hermione listened to what had just happened with her mouth open yet again. Did anyone see you? Yes, haven't you been listening? I saw me, but I thought I was my dad. It's okay. Harry, I can't believe it. You conjured up a Patronus that drove away all those Dementors. That's very, very advanced magic. I knew I could do it this time, said Harry, because I'd already done it. Does that make sense? I don't know. Harry, look at Snape. Together they peered around the bush at the other bank. Snape had regained consciousness. He was conjuring stretchers and lifting the limp forms of Harry, Hermione, and Black onto them. A fourth stretcher, no doubt bearing Ron, was already floating at his side. Then, one held out in front of him. He moved them away toward the castle. "'Right, it's nearly time,' said Hermione tensely, looking at her watch. "'We've got about forty-five minutes until Dumbledore locks the door to the hospital wing. We've got to rescue Sirius and get back into the ward before anybody realizes we're missing.' They waited, watching the moving clouds reflected in the lake, while the bush next to them whispered in the breeze. Buckbeak, bored, was ferreting for worms again. Do you reckon he's up there yet? said Harry, checking his watch. He looked up at the castle and began counting the windows to the right of the west tower. Look! Hermione whispered. Who's that? Someone's coming back out of the castle. Harry stared through the darkness. The man was hurrying across the grounds, towards one of the entrances. Something shiny glinted in his belt. McNair, said Harry, the executioner. He's gone to get the Dementors. This is it, Hermione. Hermione put her hands on Buckbeak's back, and Harry gave her a leg up. Then he placed his foot on one of the lower branches of the bush and climbed up in front of her. He pulled Buckbeak's rope back over his neck and tied it to the other side of his collar like reins. Ready, he whispered to Hermione. You'd better hold on to me. He nudged Buckbeak's sides with his heels. Buckbeak soared straight into the dark air. Harry gripped his flanks with his knees, feeling the great wings rising powerfully beneath them. Hermione was holding Harry very tight around the waist. He could hear her muttering, Oh no, I don't like this. Oh, I really don't like this. Harry urged Buckbeak forward. They were gliding quietly toward the upper floors of the castle. Harry pulled hard on the left-hand side of the rope, and Buckbeak turned. Harry was trying to count the windows flashing past. "'Woo!' he said, pulling backward as hard as he could. Buckbeak slowed down, and they found themselves at a stop, unless you counted the fact that they kept rising up and down several feet as the hippogriff beat his wings to remain airborne. "'He's there!' Harry said, spotting Sirius as they rose up beside the window." He reached out, and as Buckbeak's wings fell, was able to tap sharply on the glass. Black looked up. Harry saw his jaw drop. He leapt from his chair, hurried to the window, and tried to open it, but it was locked. Stand back! Hermione called to him, and she took out her wand, still gripping the back of Harry's robes with her left hand. Aloha Mora The window sprang open. How— How? said Black, weakly, staring at the hippogriff. Get on, there's not much time, said Harry, gripping Buckbeak firmly on either side of his sleek neck to hold him steady. You've got to get out of here. The Dementors are coming. McNair's gone to get them. Black placed a hand on either side of the window frame and heaved his head and shoulders out of it. It was very lucky he was so thin. In seconds, he had managed to fling one leg over Buckbeak's back and pull himself onto the hippogriff behind Hermione. "'Okay, Buckbeak, up!' said Harry, shaking the rope. "'Up to the tower! Come on!' The hippogriff gave one sweep of its mighty wings, and they were soaring upward again, high as the top of the west tower. Buckbeak landed with a clatter on the battlements, and Harry and Hermione slid off him at once. Sirius, you'd better go, quick!' Harry panted. "'They'll reach Flitwick's office any moment. They'll find out you're gone!' Buckbeak poured the ground, tossing his sharp head. What happened to the other boy, Ron, croaked Sirius. He's going to be okay. He's still out of it, but Madame Pomfrey says she'll be able to make him better. Quick, go! But Black was still staring down at Harry. How can I ever think? Go! Harry and Hermione shouted together. Black wheeled Buckbeak around, facing the open sky. We'll see each other again, he said. You are... Truly, your father's son, Harry. He squeezed Buckbeak's sides with his heels. Harry and Hermione jumped back as the enormous wings rose once more. The hippogriff took off into the air. He and his rider became smaller and smaller as Harry gazed after them. Then a cloud drifted across the moon. They were gone. Chapter 22 Owl Post again. Harry, Hermione was tugging at his sleeve, staring at her watch. We've got exactly ten minutes to get back down to the hospital wing without anybody seeing us, before Dumbledore locks the door. Okay, said Harry, wrenching his gaze from the sky. Let's go. They slipped through the doorway behind them and down a tightly spiraling stone staircase. As they reached the bottom of it, they heard voices. They flattened themselves against the wall and listened. It sounded like Fudge and Snape. They were walking quickly along the corridor at the foot of the staircase. Only hope Dumbledore's not going to make difficulties, Snape was saying. The kiss will be performed immediately. As soon as McNair returns with the Dementors, this whole black affair has been highly embarrassing. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to informing the Daily Prophet that we've got him at last. I dare say they'll want to interview you, Snape. And once young Harry's back in his right mind, I expect he'll want to tell the Prophet exactly how you saved him. Harry clenched his teeth. He caught a glimpse of Snape's smirk as he and Fudge passed Harry and Hermione's hiding place. Their footsteps died away. Harry and Hermione waited a few moments to make sure they'd really gone, then started to run in the opposite direction down one staircase, then another, along a new corridor. Then they heard a cackling ahead. Peeves, Harry muttered, grabbing Hermione's wrist. In here! They tore into a deserted classroom to their left, just in time. Peeves seemed to be bouncing along the corridor in boisterous good spirits, laughing his head off. Oh, he's horrible, whispered Hermione, her ear to the door. I bet he's all excited because the Dementors are going to finish off serious. She checked her watch. Three minutes, Harry. They waited until Peeves' gloating voice had faded into the distance, then slid back out of the room and broke into a run again. Hermione, what'll happen if we don't get back inside before Dumbledore locks the door? Harry panted. I don't want to think about it. Hermione moaned, checking her watch again. One minute. They had reached the end of the corridor with the hospital wing entrance. Okay, I can hear Dumbledore, said Hermione tensely. Come on, Harry. They crept along the corridor. The door opened. Dumbledore's back appeared. I am going to lock you in, they heard him saying. It is five minutes to midnight. Miss Granger, three turns should do it. Good luck. Dumbledore backed out of the room, closed the door, and took out his wand to magically lock it. Panicking, Harry and Hermione ran forward. Dumbledore looked up and a wide smile appeared under the long silver moustache. Well, he said quietly. We did it, said Harry breathlessly. Sirius has gone, on Buckbeak. Dumbledore beamed at them. Well done. I think— He listened intently for any sound within the hospital wing. Yes, I think you've gone, too. Get inside. I'll lock you in. Harry and Hermione slipped back inside the dormitory. It was empty except for Ron, who was still lying motionless in the end bed. As the lock clicked behind them, Harry and Hermione crept back to their own beds, Hermione tucking the time-turner back under her robes. A moment later, Madame Pomfrey came striding back out of her office. "'Did I hear the headmaster leaving? Am I allowed to look after my patients now?' She was in a very bad mood. Harry and Hermione thought it best to accept their chocolate quietly. Madame Pomfrey stood over them, making sure they ate it. But Harry could hardly swallow. He and Hermione were waiting, listening, their nerves jangling. And then, as they both took a fourth piece of chocolate from Madame Pomfrey, they heard a distant roar of fury echoing from somewhere above them. What was that? said Madame Pomfrey in alarm. Now they could hear angry voices growing louder and louder. Madame Pomfrey was staring at the door. Really? They'll wake everybody up. What do they think they're doing? Harry was trying to hear what the voices were saying. They were drawing nearer. He must have disapparated Severus. We should have left somebody in the room with him. When this gets out, he didn't disapparate. "'Snape roared, now very close at hand. "'You can't apparate or disapparate inside this castle. "'This has something to do with Potter.' "'Severus, be reasonable. "'Harry has been locked up.' "'Bam!' "'The door of the hospital wing burst open. "'Fudge, Snape, and Dumbledore came striding into the ward. "'Dumbledore alone looked calm. "'Indeed, he looked as though he was quite enjoying himself.' Fudge appeared angry, but Snape was beside himself. Out with it, Potter, he bellowed. What did you do? Professor Snape, shrieked Madam Pomfrey. Control yourself. See here, Snape, be reasonable, said Fudge. This door's been locked. We just saw. They helped him escape. I know it. Snape howled, pointing at Harry and Hermione. His face was twisted. Spit was flying from his mouth. Calm down, man, Fudge barked. You're talking nonsense. You don't know, Potter, shrieked Snape. He did it. I knew he did it. That will do, Severus, said Dumbledore quietly. Think about what you are saying. This door has been locked since I left the ward ten minutes ago. Madame Pomfrey... Have these students left their beds? Of course not, said Madame Pomfrey, bristling. I would have heard them. Well, there you have it, Severus, said Dumbledore calmly. Unless you are suggesting that Harry and Hermione are able to be in two places at once, I'm afraid I don't see any point in troubling them further. Snape stood there, seething, staring from Fudge, who looked thoroughly shocked at his behavior, to Dumbledore, whose eyes were twinkling behind his glasses. Snape whirled about, robes swishing behind him, and stormed out of the ward. Fellow seems quite unbalanced, said Fudge, staring after him. I'd watch out for him if I were you, Dumbledore. Oh, he's not unbalanced, said Dumbledore quietly. He's just suffered a severe disappointment. "'He's not the only one,' puffed Fudge. "'The Daily Prophet's going to have a field day. "'We had Black cornered, and he slipped through our fingers yet again. "'All it needs now is for the soy of that hippogriff's escape to get out, "'and I'll be a laughingstock. "'Well, I'd better go and notify the Ministry.' "'And the Dementors?' said Dumbledore. "'They'll be removed from the school, I trust.' "'Oh, yes, they'll have to go.' said Fudge, running his fingers distractedly through his hair. Never dreamt they'd attempt to administer the kiss on an innocent boy. Completely out of control. No, I'll have them packed off back to Azkaban tonight. Perhaps we should think about dragons at the school entrance. Hagrid would like that, said Dumbledore, smiling at Harry and Hermione. As he and Fudge left the dormitory, Madame Pomfrey hurried to the door and locked it again muttering angrily to herself she headed back to her office there was a low moan from the other end of the ward ron had woken up they could see him sitting up rubbing his head looking around what what happened he groaned harry why are we in here where's sirius where's lupin what's going on harry and hermione looked at each other you explain said Harry, helping himself to some more chocolate. When Harry, Ron, and Hermione left the hospital wing at noon the next day, it was to find an almost deserted castle. The sweltering heat and the end of the exams meant that everyone was taking full advantage of another Hogsmeade visit. Neither Ron nor Hermione felt like going, however— So they and Harry wandered onto the grounds, still talking about the extraordinary events of the previous night, and wondering where Sirius and Buckbeak were now. Sitting near the lake, watching the giant squid waving its tentacles lazily above the water, Harry lost the thread of the conversation as he looked across to the opposite bank. The stag had galloped toward him from there just last night. A shadow fell across them, and they looked up to see a very bleary-eyed Hagrid, mopping his sweaty face with one of his tablecloth-sized handkerchiefs and beaming down at them. "No I shouldn't feel happy after what happened last night," he said. "I mean, Black escaping again and everything?" "But guess what?" "What?" they said, pretending to look curious. "Beaky! He escaped!" "'He's free. Been celebrating all night.' "'That's wonderful,' said Hermione, giving Ron a reproving look, because he looked as though he was close to laughing. "'Yeah, can't have tied him up properly,' said Hagrid, gazing happily out over the grounds. "'I was worried this morning, mind. Thought he might have met Professor Lupin on the grounds. But Lupin says he never ate anything last night.' "'What?' "'Blimey, haven't you heard?' said Hagrid, his smile fading a little. He lowered his voice, even though there was nobody in sight. Er, Snape told all the Slytherins this morning. Thought everyone'd know by now. Professor Lupin's a werewolf, see? And he was loose on the grounds last night. He's packing now, of course. He's packing? said Harry, alarmed. Why? Leaving, isn't he? said Hagrid, looking surprised that Harry had to ask resign first thing this morning. Says he can't risk it happening again. Harry scrambled to his feet. I'm going to see him, he said to Ron and Hermione. But if he's resigned, doesn't sound like there's anything we can do. I don't care. I still want to see him. I'll meet you back here. Lupin's office door was open. He had already packed most of his things. The Grindy Lowe's empty tank stood next to his battered old suitcase, which was open and nearly full. Lupin was bending over something on his desk and looked up only when Harry knocked on the door. I saw you coming, said Lupin, smiling. He pointed to the parchment he had been poring over. It was the Marauder's map. I just saw Hagrid, said Harry, and he said you'd resigned. It's not true, is it? I'm afraid it is, said Lupin. He started opening his desk drawers and taking out the contents. Why, said Harry, the Ministry of Magic don't think you were helping Sirius, do they? Lupin crossed to the door and closed it behind Harry. No, Professor Dumbledore managed to convince Fudge that I was trying to save your lives, he sighed. That was the final straw for Severus. I think the loss of the Order of Merlin hit him hard. So he, uh, accidentally let slip that I am a werewolf this morning at breakfast. You're not leaving just because of that? Said Harry. Lupin smiled wryly. This time tomorrow the owls will start arriving from parents. They will not want a werewolf teaching their children, Harry. And after last night I see their point. I could have bitten any of you. That must never happen again. You're the best defense against the dark arts teacher we've ever had, said Harry. Don't go. Lupin shook his head and didn't speak. He carried on emptying his drawers. Then, while Harry was trying to think of a good argument to make him stay, Lupin said, From what the headmaster told me this morning, you saved a lot of lives last night, Harry. If I'm proud of anything I've done this year, it's how much you've learned. Tell me about your Patronus. How do you know about that? said Harry, distracted. What else could have driven the Dementors back? Harry told Lupin what had happened. When he'd finished, Lupin was smiling again. Yes, your father was always a stag when he transformed, he said. You guessed right. That's why we called him Prongs. Lupin threw his last books into his case, closed the desk drawers, and turned to look at Harry. Here— "'I bought this from the shrieking shack last night,' he said, "'handing Harry back the invisibility cloak. "'And,' he hesitated, then held out the marauder's map, too. "'I am no longer your teacher, "'so I don't feel guilty about giving you back this as well. "'It's no use to me, and I dare say you, Ron, and Hermione, "'will find uses for it.' "'Harry took the map and grinned. "'You told me, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs— would have wanted to lure me out of school. You said they'd have thought it was funny. And so we would have, said Lupin, now reaching down to close his case. I have no hesitation in saying that James would have been highly disappointed if his son had never found any of the secret passages out of the castle. There was a knock on the door. Harry hastily stuffed the marauder's map and the invisibility cloak into his pocket. It was Professor Dumbledore. He didn't look surprised to see Harry there. "'Your carriage is at the gates, Remus,' he said. "'Thank you, Headmaster.' Lupin picked up his old suitcase and the empty Grindylow tank. "'Well, goodbye, Harry,' he said, smiling. "'It has been a real pleasure teaching you. I feel sure we'll meet again sometime. "'Headmaster, there is no need to see me to the gates. "'I can manage.' Harry had the impression that Lupin wanted to leave as quickly as possible. Goodbye then, Remus, said Dumbledore soberly. Lupin shifted the grindy low tank slightly so that he and Dumbledore could shake hands. Then, with a final nod to Harry and a swift smile, Lupin left the office. Harry sat down in his vacated chair, staring glumly at the floor. He heard the door close and looked up. Dumbledore was still there. Why so miserable, Harry, he said quietly. You should be very proud of yourself after last night. It didn't make any difference, said Harry bitterly. Pettigrew got away. Didn't make any difference, said Dumbledore quietly. It made all the difference in the world, Harry. You helped uncover the truth. You saved an innocent man from a terrible fate. Terrible? Something stirred in Harry's memory. Greater and more terrible than ever before. Professor Trelawney's prediction. Professor Dumbledore, yesterday, when I was having my divination exam, Professor Trelawney went very, very strange. Indeed, said Dumbledore. Ah, stranger than usual, you mean. Yes, her voice went all deep and her eyes rolled, and she said, She said Voldemort's servant was going to set out to return to him before midnight. She said the servant would help him come back to power. Harry stared up at Dumbledore. And then she sort of became normal again, and she couldn't remember anything she'd said. Was it—was she making a real prediction? Dumbledore looked mildly impressed. Do you know, Harry, I think she might have been, he said thoughtfully. Who'd have thought it— That brings her total of real predictions up to two. I should offer her a pay raise. But Harry looked at him aghast. How could Dumbledore take this so calmly? But I stopped Sirius and Professor Lupin from killing Pettigrew. That makes it my fault if Voldemort comes back. It does not, said Dumbledore quietly. Hasn't your experience with the Time-Turner taught you anything, Harry? The consequences of our actions are always so complicated, so diverse, that predicting the future is a very difficult business indeed. Professor Trelawney, bless her, is living proof of that. You did a very noble thing in saving Pettigrew's life. But if he helps Voldemort back to power, Pettigrew owes his life to you. You have sent Voldemort a deputy who is in your debt. When one wizard saves another wizard's life, it creates a certain bond between them, and I'm much mistaken if Voldemort wants his servant in the debt of Harry Potter. I don't want a connection with Pettigrew, said Harry. He betrayed my parents. This is magic at its deepest, its most impenetrable, Harry, but trust me— The time may come when you will be very glad you saved Pettigrew's life. Harry couldn't imagine when that would be. Dumbledore looked as though he knew what Harry was thinking. I knew your father very well, both at Hogwarts and later, Harry, he said gently. He would have saved Pettigrew too, I'm sure of it. Harry looked up at him. Dumbledore wouldn't laugh. He could tell Dumbledore. I thought it was my dad who'd conjured my Patronus. I mean, when I saw myself across the lake, I thought I was seeing him. An easy mistake to make, said Dumbledore softly. I expect you'll tire of hearing it. But you do look extraordinarily like James, except for the eyes. You have your mother's eyes. Harry shook his head. It was stupid, thinking it was him, he muttered. I mean... I knew he was dead. You think the dead we loved ever truly leave us? You think that we don't recall them more clearly than ever in times of great trouble? Your father is alive in you, Harry, and shows himself most plainly when you have need of him. How else could you produce that particular patronus? Prongs rode again last night.' It took a moment for Harry to realize what Dumbledore had said. "'Last night, Sirius told me all about how they became Animagi,' said Dumbledore, smiling. "'An extraordinary achievement, not least keeping it quiet from me. And then I remembered the most unusual form your Patronus took when it charged Mr. Malfoy down at your Quidditch match against Ravenclaw. You know, Harry—' In a way, you did see your father last night. You found him inside yourself. And Dumbledore left the office, leaving Harry to his very confused thoughts. Nobody at Hogwarts now knew the truth of what had happened that night, that Sirius, Buckbeak, and Pettigrew had vanished, except Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Professor Dumbledore. As the end of term approached, Harry heard many different theories about what had really happened, but none of them came close to the truth. Malfoy was furious about Buckbeak. He was convinced that Hagrid had found a way of smuggling the hippogriff to safety, and seemed outraged that he and his father had been outwitted by a gamekeeper. Percy Weasley, meanwhile, had much to say on the subject of Sirius's escape. If I manage to get into the ministry, I'll have a lot of proposals to make about magical law enforcement, he told the only person who would listen, his girlfriend Penelope. Though the weather was perfect, though the atmosphere was so cheerful, though he knew they had achieved the near impossible in helping Sirius to freedom, Harry had never approached the end of a school year in worse spirits. He certainly wasn't the only one who was sorry to see Professor Lupin go. The whole of Harry's defense against the dark arts class was miserable about his resignation. Wonder what they'll give us next year, said Seamus Finnegan gloomily. Maybe a vampire, suggested Dean Thomas hopefully. It wasn't only Professor Lupin's departure that was weighing on Harry's mind. He couldn't help thinking a lot about Professor Trelawney's prediction. He kept wondering where Pettigrew was now, whether he had sought sanctuary with Voldemort yet. But the thing that was lowering Harry's spirits most of all was the prospect of returning to the Dursleys. For maybe half an hour, a glorious half hour, he had believed he would be living with Sirius from now on, his parents' best friend. It would have been the next best thing to having his own father back. And while no news of Sirius was definitely good news, because it meant he had successfully gone into hiding, Harry couldn't help feeling miserable when he thought of the home he might have had, and the fact that it was now impossible. The exam results came out on the last day of term. Harry, Ron, and Hermione had passed every subject. Harry was amazed that he had got through potions— He had a shrewd suspicion that Dumbledore might have stepped in to stop Snape failing him on purpose. Snape's behavior toward Harry over the past week had been quite alarming. Harry wouldn't have thought it possible that Snape's dislike for him could increase, but it certainly had. A muscle twitched unpleasantly at the corner of Snape's thin mouth every time he looked at Harry, and he was constantly flexing his fingers as though itching to place them around Harry's throat. Percy had got his top grade NEWTs. Fred and George had scraped a handful of OWLs each. Gryffindor House, meanwhile, largely thanks to their spectacular performance in the Quidditch Cup, had won the House Championship for the third year running. This meant that the end of term feast took place amid decorations of scarlet and gold, and that the Gryffindor table was the noisiest of the lot, as everybody celebrated. Even Harry managed to forget about the journey back to the Dursleys the next day as he ate, drank, talked, and laughed with the rest. As the Hogwarts Express pulled out of the station the next morning, Hermione gave Harry and Ron some surprising news. I went to see Professor McGonigal this morning, just before breakfast. I've decided to drop Muggle studies. But you passed your exam with 320%. Said Ron. I know, sighed Hermione, but I can't stand another year like this one. That time turner, it was driving me mad. I've handed it in. Without muggle studies and divination, I'll be able to have a normal schedule again. I still can't believe you didn't tell us about it, said Ron grumpily. We're supposed to be your friends. I promised I wouldn't tell anyone, said Hermione severely. She looked around at Harry, who was watching Hogwarts disappear from view behind a mountain, two whole months before he'd see it again. "'Oh, cheer up, Harry,' said Hermione sadly. "'I'm okay,' said Harry quickly, just thinking about the holidays. "'Yeah, I've been thinking about them too,' said Ron. "'Harry, you've got to come and stay with us. I'll fix it up with Mum and Dad, and then I'll call you. I know how to use a felly tone now. "'A telephone, Ron!' said Hermione. Honestly, you should take muggle studies next year. Ron ignored her. It's the Quidditch World Cup this summer. How about it, Harry? Come and stay, and we'll go and see it. Dad can usually get tickets from work. This proposal had the effect of cheering Harry up a great deal. Yeah, I bet the Dursleys will be pleased to let me come, especially after what I did to Aunt Marge. Feeling considerably more cheerful, Harry joined Ron and Hermione in several games of exploding snap, and when the witch with the tea cart arrived, he bought himself a very large lunch, though nothing with chocolate in it. But it was late in the afternoon before the thing that made him truly happy turned up. Harry, said Hermione suddenly, peering over his shoulder, what's that thing outside your window? Harry turned to look outside. Something very small and grey was bobbing in and out of sight beyond the glass. He stood up for a better look and saw that it was a tiny owl, carrying a letter that was much too big for it. The owl was so small, in fact, that it kept tumbling over in the air, buffeted this way and that in the train's slipstream. Harry quickly pulled down the window, stretched out his arm, and caught it. It felt like a very fluffy snitch. He brought it carefully inside— The owl dropped its letter onto Harry's seat and began zooming around their compartment, apparently very pleased with itself for accomplishing its task. Hedwig clicked her beak with a sort of dignified disapproval. Crookshank sat up in his seat, following the owl with his great yellow eyes. Ron, noticing this, snatched the owl safely out of harm's way. Harry picked up the letter. It was addressed to him. He ripped open the letter and shouted, It's from Sirius. What? said Ron and Hermione excitedly. Read it aloud. Dear Harry, I hope this finds you before you reach your aunt and uncle. I don't know whether they're used to owl post. Buckbeak and I are in hiding. I won't tell you where in case this owl falls into the wrong hands. I have some doubt about his reliability, but he is the best I could find, and he did seem eager for the job. I believe the Dementors are still searching for me, but they haven't a hope of finding me here. I am planning to allow some muggles to glimpse me soon, a long way from Hogwarts, so that the security on the castle will be lifted. There is something I never got around to telling you during our brief meeting. It was I who sent you the firebolt. Ha ah, said Hermione triumphantly, see, I told you it was from him.' Yes, but he hadn't jinxed it, had he? said Ron. Ouch! The tiny owl, now hooting happily in his hand, had nibbled one of his fingers in what it seemed to think was an affectionate way. Crookshanks took the order to the owl office for me. I used your name but told them to take the gold from my own Gringotts vault. Please consider it as thirteen birthdays' worth of presents from your godfather." I would also like to apologize for the fright I think I gave you that night last year when you left your uncle's house. I had only hoped to get a glimpse of you before starting my journey north, but I think the sight of me alarmed you. I am enclosing something else for you which I think will make your next year at Hogwarts more enjoyable. If ever you need me, send word. Your owl will find me. I'll write again soon. Sirius. Harry looked eagerly inside the envelope. There was another piece of parchment in there. He read it through quickly, and felt suddenly as warm and contented as though he'd swallowed a bottle of hot butter beer in one gulp. I, Sirius Black, Harry Potter's godfather, hereby give him permission to visit Hogsmeade on weekends. That'll be good enough for Dumbledore, said Harry happily. He looked back at Sirius's letter. Hang on, there's a P.S.' I thought your friend Ron might like to keep this owl, as it's my fault he no longer has a rat. Ron's eyes widened. The minute owl was still hooting excitedly. Keep him? He said uncertainly. He looked closely at the owl for a moment. Then, to Harry's and Hermione's great surprise, he held him out for Crookshanks to sniff. What do you reckon? Ron asked the cat. Definitely an owl. Crookshanks purred. That's good enough for me, said Ron happily. He's mine. Harry read and reread the letter from Sirius all the way back into King's Cross Station. It was still clutched tightly in his hand as he, Ron, and Hermione stepped back through the barrier of Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Harry spotted Uncle Vernon at once, He was standing a good distance from Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, eyeing them suspiciously, and when Mrs. Weasley hugged Harry in greeting, his worst suspicions about them seemed confirmed. I'll call about the World Cup, Ron yelled after Harry, as Harry bid him and Hermione goodbye, then wheeled the trolley bearing his trunk and Hedwig's cage toward Uncle Vernon, who greeted him in his usual fashion. What's that? He snarled, staring at the envelope Harry was still clutching in his hand. "'If it's another form for me to sign, you've got another—' "'It's not,' said Harry cheerfully. "'It's a letter from my godfather.' "'Godfather?' sputtered Uncle Vernon. "'You haven't got a godfather.' "'Yes, I have.' said harry brightly he was my mum and dad's best friend he's a convicted murderer but he's broken out of wizard prison and he's on the run he likes to keep in touch with me though keep up with my news check if i'm happy and grinning broadly at the look of horror on uncle vernon's face harry set off toward the station exit Hedwig rattling along in front of him for what looked like a much better summer than the last.
2: Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban was read by Jim Dale. Text copyright J.K. Rowling, 1999. Recording copyright Listening Library, 1999. An imprint of the Penguin Random House Audio Publishing Group. Digitally remastered by Pottermore at Pinewood Studios in 2015. Pottermore is the digital entertainment, news and e-commerce company from J.K. Rowling, inspired by her Harry Potter books and the wider wizarding world. Pottermore is a place for Harry Potter fans to be entertained and discover more of the wizarding world they love through Pottermore.com experiences or products including Harry Potter ebooks, digital audiobooks, and more. Harry Potter characters, names, and related Indicia are trademarks and copyright of Warner Brothers Entertainment. The story continues. Find out what happens next in this preview of the digital audiobook Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire by J.K. Rowling. Text copyright J.K. Rowling 2000. Recording copyright, Listening Library, 2000. An imprint of the Penguin Random House Audio Publishing
0: Group. Chapter One. The Riddle House. The villagers of Little Haggleton still called it the Riddle House, even though it had been many years since the Riddle family had lived there. It stood on a hill overlooking the village... Some of its windows boarded, tiles missing from its roof, and ivy spreading unchecked over its face. Once a fine-looking manor, and easily the largest and grandest building for miles around, the Riddle House was now damp, derelict, and unoccupied. The little Hangletons all agreed that the old house was creepy. Half a century ago, something strange and horrible had happened there, something that the older inhabitants of the village still liked to discuss when topics for gossip were scarce. The story had been picked over so many times and had been embroidered in so many places that nobody was quite sure what the truth was anymore. Every version of the tale, however, started in the same place. Fifty years before, at daybreak on a fine summer's morning, when the riddle house had still been well kept and impressive, a maid had entered the drawing room to find all three riddles dead. The maid had run screaming down the hill into the village and roused as many people as she could.
1: "'Lying there with her eyes wide open, cold as ice, still in their dinner things.'
0: "'The police were summoned, and the whole of Little Hangleton had seethed with shock curiosity and ill-disguised excitement. "'Nobody wasted their breath pretending to feel very sad about the Riddles, for they had been most unpopular. "'Elderly Mr. and Mrs. Riddle had been rich, snobbish, and rude, and their grown-up son Tom had been, if anything, worse.' All the villagers cared about was the identity of their murderer, for plainly three apparently healthy people did not all drop dead of natural causes on the same night. The hanged man, the village pub, did a roaring trade that night. The whole village seemed to have turned out to discuss the murders. They were rewarded for leaving their firesides when the Riddles cook arrived dramatically in their midst and announced to the suddenly silent pub that a man called Frank Bryce had just been arrested. ''Frank?'' (laughs) cried several people. ''Never!'' Frank Bryce was the Riddles gardener. He lived alone in a run-down cottage on the grounds of the Riddle house. Frank had come back from the war with a very stiff leg and a great dislike of crowds and loud noises, and had been working for the Riddles ever since. There was a rush to buy the cook drinks and hear more details. ''Always thought he was odd.'' she told the eagerly listening villagers after her fourth sherry unfriendly like i'm
1: sure if i've offered him a couple once i've offered it a hundred times never wanted to mix he didn't ah no
0: said a woman at the bar
1: he had a hard war frank he likes the quiet life that's no reason to who else had a key to the back door
0: then barked the cook
1: There's been a spare key hanging in the gardener's cottage far back as I can remember. Nobody forced the door last night. No broken windows. All Frank had to do was creep up to the big house while we was all sleeping.
0: The villagers exchanged dark looks. I always thought he had a nasty look about him, right enough, grunted a man at the bar. "'War turned him funny, if you ask me,' said the landlord. "'Told you I wouldn't like to get on the wrong side of Frank, didn't I, Dot?' said an excited woman in the corner. "'Horrible temper,' said Dot, nodding fervently. "'I remember when he was a kid.' By the following morning, hardly anyone in Little Hangleton doubted that Frank Bryce had killed the Riddles. But over in the neighbouring town of Great Hangleton, in the dark and dingy police station, Frank was stubbornly repeating again and again that he was innocent, and that the only person he had seen near the house on the day of the Riddles' deaths had been a teenage boy, a stranger, dark-haired and pale. Nobody else in the village had seen any such boy, and the police were quite sure that Frank had invented him. Then, just when things were looking very serious for Frank, the report on the Riddles' bodies came back and changed everything. The police had never read an odd report. A team of doctors had examined the bodies and had concluded that none of the riddles had been poisoned, stabbed, shot, strangled, suffocated, or, as far as they could tell, harmed at all. In fact, the report continued in a tone of unmistakable bewilderment. The riddles all appeared to be in perfect health, apart from the fact that they were all dead. The doctors did note, as though determined to find something wrong with the bodies, that each of the Riddles had a look of terror upon his or her face, but, as the frustrated police said, whoever heard of three people being frightened to death. As there was no proof that the Riddles had been murdered at all, the police were forced to let Frank go. The Riddles were buried in the little Hangleton churchyard, and their graves remained objects of curiosity for a while. To everyone's surprise, and amid a cloud of suspicion, Frank Bryce returned to his cottage on the grounds of the Riddle House. "'So far as I'm concerned, he killed them, and I don't care what the police say,' said Dot in the hanged man. "'And
1: if he had any decency, he'd leave here, knowing as how we
0: knows he did it.' But Frank did not leave. He stayed to tend the garden for the next family who lived in the Riddle House, and then the next— for neither family stayed long. Perhaps it was partly because of Frank that the new owner said there was a nasty feeling about the place, which, in the absence of inhabitants, started to fall into disrepair. The wealthy man who owned the Riddle House these days neither lived there nor put it to any use. They said in the village that he kept it for tax reasons, though nobody was very clear what these might be. The wealthy owner continued to pay Frank to do the gardening, however— Frank was nearing his seventy-seventh birthday now, very deaf, his bad legs stiffer than ever, but could be seen pottering around the flower beds in fine weather, even though the weeds were starting to creep up on him, try as he might to suppress them. Weeds were not the only things Frank had to contend with, either. Boys from the village made a habit of throwing stones through the windows of the riddle house. They rode their bicycles over the lawns Frank worked so hard to keep smooth. Once or twice they broke into the old house for a dare. They knew that old Frank's devotion to the house and grounds amounted almost to an obsession, and it amused them to see him limping across the garden, brandishing his stick and yelling croakily at them. Frank, for his part, believed the boys tormented him because they, like their parents and grandparents, thought him a murderer. So when Frank awoke one night in August and saw something very odd up at the old house, he merely assumed that the boys had gone one step further in their attempts to punish him. It was Frank's bad leg that woke him. It was paining him worse than ever in his old age. He got up and limped downstairs into the kitchen with the idea of refilling his hot water bottle to ease the stiffness in his knee. Standing at the sink, filling the kettle, he looked up at the riddle house and saw lights glimmering in its upper windows. Frank knew at once what was going on. The boys had broken into the house again, and judging by the flickering quality of the light, they had started a fire. "'Frank had no telephone, and in any case he had deeply mistrusted the police "'ever since they had taken him in for questioning about the Riddle's deaths. "'He put down the kettle at once, hurried back upstairs as fast as his bad leg would allow, "'and was soon back in his kitchen, fully dressed and removing a rusty old key from its hook by the door. "'He picked up his walking stick, which was propped against the wall, and set off into the night. "'The front door of the Riddle house bore no sign of being forced, nor did any of the windows.' Frank limped around to the back of the house until he reached a door almost completely hidden by ivy, took out the old key, put it into the lock, and opened the door noiselessly. He let himself into the cavernous kitchen. Frank had not entered it for many years. Nevertheless, although it was very dark, he remembered where the door into the hall was, and he groped his way toward it, his nostrils full of the smell of decay, ears pricked for any sound of footsteps or voices from overhead." He reached the hall, which was a little lighter owing to the large mullioned windows on either side of the front door, and started to climb the stairs, blessing the dust that lay thick upon the stone, because it muffled the sound of his feet and stick. On the landing, Frank turned right and saw at once where the intruders were. At the very end of the passage a door stood ajar, and a flickering light shone through the gap, casting a long sliver of gold across the black floor. "'Frank edged closer and closer, grasping his walking-stick firmly. "'Several feet from the entrance, "'he was able to see a narrow slice of the room beyond. "'The fire, he now saw, had been lit in the grate. "'This surprised him. "'Then he stopped moving and listened intently, "'for a man's voice spoke within the room. "'It sounded timid and fearful.
1: "'There is a little more in the bottle, my lord, if you are still hungry.' later
0: said a second voice this too belonged to a man but it was strangely high-pitched and cold as a sudden blast of icy wind something about that voice made the sparse hairs on the back of frank's neck stand up
1: move me closer to the fire worm tail
0: frank turned his right ear toward the door the better to hear "'There came the clink of a bottle being put down upon some hard surface, "'and then the dull scraping noise of a heavy chair being dragged across the floor. "'Frank caught a glimpse of a small man, his back to the door, "'pushing the chair into place. "'He was wearing a long black cloak, "'and there was a bald patch at the back of his head. "'Then he went out of sight again. "'Where is Nagini?' said the cold voice. "'I I don't know, my lord.' said the first voice nervously.
1: She set out to explore the house, I think. You will milk her before we retire, Wormtail,
0: said the second voice.
1: I will need feeding in the night. The journey has tired me greatly.
0: Brow furrowed, Frank inclined his good ear still closer to the door, listening very hard. There was a pause, and then the man called Wormtail spoke again. My lord,
1: may I ask how long we are going to stay here? A week, said the
0: cold voice.
1: Perhaps longer. The police is moderately comfortable and the plan cannot proceed yet. It would be foolish to act
0: before the Quidditch World Cup is over. Frank inserted a gnarled finger into his ear and rotated it. Owing no doubt to a build-up of earwax, he had heard the word Quidditch, which was not a word at all. "'The the Quidditch World Cup, my lord,' said Wormtail. "'Frank dug his finger still more vigorously into his ear. "'Forgive me, but I do
1: not understand. "'Why should we wait until the World Cup is over?' "'Because, fool, at this very moment wizards are pouring into the country from all over the world, "'and every meddler from the Ministry of Magic will be on duty, "'on the watch for signs of unusual activity, checking and double-checking identities. "'They will be obsessed with security, lest the muggles notice anything. "'So we wait.'
0: Frank stopped trying to clear out his ear. He had distinctly heard the words Ministry of Magic, Wizards, and Muggles. Plainly, each of these expressions meant something secret, and Frank could think of only two sorts of people who would speak in code—spies and criminals. Frank tightened his hold on his walking-stick once more, and listened more closely still. "'Your lordship is still determined, then,' Wormtail said quietly.
1: "'Certainly I am determined, Wormtail!'
0: "'There was a note of menace in the cold voice now. "'A slight pause followed, and then Wormtail spoke, "'the words tumbling from him in a rush, "'as though he was forcing himself to say this before he lost his nerve. "'It could be done without Harry Potter, my lord!' "'Another pause, more protracted, and then, "'Without Harry Potter!' breathed the second voice softly.
1: "'I see!'
0: "'My lord, I do not say this out of concern for the boy,' said Wormtail, his voice rising squeakily.
1: "'The boy is nothing to me, nothing at all. It is merely that if we were to use another witch or wizard, any wizard, the thing could be done so much more quickly. If you allowed me to leave you for a short while, you know that I can disguise myself most effectively. I could be back here in as little as two days with a suitable person.' "'I could use another wizard,'
0: said the cold voice softly.
1: "'That is true.'
0: "'My lord, it makes sense,' said Wormtail, sounding thoroughly relieved now. "'Laying hands on Harry Potter would be so difficult. He is so well protected.' "'And
1: so you volunteer to go and fetch me a substitute. I wonder. Perhaps the task of nursing me has become wearisome for you, Wormtail.' Could this suggestion of abandoning the plan be nothing more than an attempt to desert me? My lord, I, I have no wish to leave you, none at all. Do not lie
0: to me, hissed the second voice.
1: I can always tell, Wormtail, you are regretting that you ever return to me. I revolt you. "'I see you flinch when you look at me, "'feel you shudder when you touch me. "'No, my devotion to your lordship. "'Your devotion is nothing more than cowardice. "'You would not be here if you had anywhere else to go. "'How am I to survive without you "'when I need feeding every few hours? "'Who is to milk Nagini?' "'But you seem so much stronger, my lord.' liar
0: breathed the second voice
1: i am no stronger and a few days alone would be enough to rob me of the little health i have regained under your clumsy care silence
0: wormtail who had been sputtering incoherently fell silent at once for a few seconds frank could hear nothing but the fire crackling then the second man spoke once more in a whisper that was almost a hiss I have my
1: reasons for using the boy, as I have already explained to you, and I will use no other. I have waited thirteen years. A few more months will make no difference. As for the protection surrounding the boy... I believe my plan will be effective. All that is needed is a little courage from you, Wormtail. Courage you will find, unless you wish to feel the full extent of Lord Voldemort's wrath.
0: My lord, I must speak, said Wormtail, panic in his voice now. All through our journey I have gone over the plan in my head. My lord, Bertha Jorkins's disappearance will not go unnoticed for long, and if we proceed, if I murder— If, whispered the second voice, if, if you follow the plan, Wormtail, the Ministry need never know that anyone else has died. You will do it quietly and without fuss. I only wish that I could do it myself, but in my present condition— Come, Wormtail, one more death and our path to Harry Potter is clear. I am not asking you to do it alone. By that time, my faithful servant will have rejoined us. I am a faithful servant, said Wormtail, the merest trace of sullenness in his voice.
1: Wormtail, I need somebody with brains, somebody whose
0: loyalty has never wavered, and you unfortunately fulfill neither requirement. i found you, said Wormtail, and there was definitely a sulky edge to his voice now. I was the one who found you. I brought you Bertha Jorkins. That is true, said the second man, sounding amused. A stroke of Brilliance I would not have thought possible from you, Wormtail, though if truth
1: be told, you were not aware how useful she would be when you caught her, were you?
0: I i thought she might be useful, my lord. Liar! said the second voice again, the cruel amusement more pronounced than ever.
1: However, I do not deny that her information was invaluable. Without it, I could never have formed our plan, and for that you will have your reward, Wormtail.
0: I will allow you to perform an essential task for me, one that many of my followers would give their right hands to perform. Really, my lord? What? Wormtail sounded terrified again.
1: "'Ah, Wormtail, you don't want me to spoil the surprise. "'Your part will come at the very end. "'But I promise you, you will have the honour "'of being just as useful
0: as Bertha Jorkins. "'You—you—' "'Wormtail's voice suddenly sounded hoarse "'as though his mouth had gone very dry. "'You are going to kill me, too?' Wormtail worm tail said the cold voice silkily, why would I kill you? I killed Bertha because
1: I had to. She was fit for nothing after my questioning quite useless in any case awkward questions would have been asked if she had gone back to the ministry with the news that she had met you on her holidays wizards who are supposed to be dead would do well not to run into ministry of magic witches
0: at wayside inns wormtail muttered something so quietly that frank could not hear it but it made the second man laugh an entirely mirthless laugh cold as his speech We could have modified her memory, but memory charms can be broken by a powerful
1: wizard, as I proved when I questioned her. It would be an insult to her memory not to use the information I extracted from her worm tail.
0: Out in the corridor, Frank suddenly became aware that the hand gripping his walking stick was slippery with sweat. The man with the cold voice had killed a woman. He was talking about it without any kind of remorse, with amusement. He was dangerous, a madman, and he was planning more murders. This boy, Harry Potter, whoever he was, was in danger. Frank knew what he must do. Now, if ever, was the time to go to the police— He would creep out of the house and head straight for the telephone box in the village. But the cold voice was speaking again, and Frank remained where he was, frozen to the spot, listening with all his might. One more murder, my faithful servant at Hogwarts. Harry Potter
1: is as good as mine, Wormtail. It is decided there will
0: be no more argument. But quiet. I think I hear Nagini and the second man's voice changed. He started making noises such as Frank had never heard before. He was hissing and spitting without drawing breath. Frank thought he must be having some sort of fit or seizure. And then Frank heard movement behind him in the dark passageway. He turned to look and found himself paralyzed with fright. Something was slithering toward him along the dark corridor floor. And as it drew nearer to the sliver of firelight he realized with a thrill of terror that it was a gigantic snake, at least twelve feet long. Horrified, transfixed, Frank stared as its undulating body cut a wide, curving track through the thick dust on the floor, coming closer and closer. What was he to do? The only means of escape was into the room where two men sat plotting murder. Yet, if he stayed where he was, the snake would surely kill him. But before he had made his decision, the snake was level with him, and then, incredibly, miraculously, it was passing. It was following the spitting, hissing noises made by the cold voice beyond the door, and, in seconds, the tip of its diamond-patterned tail had vanished through the gap. There was sweat on Frank's forehead now, and the hand on the walking stick was trembling. Inside the room, the cold voice was continuing to hiss— and Frank was visited by a strange idea, an impossible idea. This man could talk to snakes. Frank didn't understand what was going on. He wanted more than anything to be back in his bed with his hot water bottle. The problem was that his legs didn't seem to want to move. As he stood there shaking and trying to master himself, the cold voice switched abruptly to English again.
1: Nagini has interesting
0: news, Wormtail, it said. In Indeed, my lord, said Wormtail.
1: Indeed, yes,
0: said the voice.
1: According to Nagini, there is an old muggle
0: standing right outside this room, listening to every word we say frank didn't have a chance to hide himself there were footsteps and then the door of the room was flung wide open a short balding man with graying hair a pointed nose and small watery eyes stood before frank a mixture of fear and alarm in his face
1: invite him
0: inside
1: wormtail
0: where are your manners the cold voice was coming from the ancient armchair before the fire but frank couldn't see the speaker. The snake, on the other hand, was curled up on the rotting hearth-rug, like some horrible travesty of a pet dog. Wormtail beckoned Frank into the room. Though still deeply shaken, Frank took a firmer grip upon his walking-stick and limped over the threshold. The fire was the only source of light in the room. It cast long, spidery shadows upon the walls. Frank stared at the back of the armchair. The man inside it seemed to be even smaller than his servant— "'for Frank couldn't even see the back of his head. "'You heard everything, muggle,' said the cold voice. "'What's that you're calling me?' said Frank defiantly, "'for now he was inside the room. "'Now that the time had come for some sort of action, "'he felt braver. "'It had always been so in the war. "'I am calling you a muggle,' said the voice coolly. "'It means that you are not a wizard.' "'I don't know what you mean by wizard.' said frank his voice growing steadier
1: all i know is i've heard enough to interest the police tonight i have
0: you've done murder and you're planning more and i'll tell you this too he added on a sudden inspiration my wife knows i'm up here and if i don't come back you have
1: no wife
0: said the cold voice very quietly
1: nobody knows you are here you told nobody that you were coming Do not lie to Lord Voldemort, Muggle, for he knows. He always knows.
0: Is that right? said Frank, roughly. Lord, is it? Well, I don't think much of your manners, my lord. Turn round and face me like a man. Why don't you? But I am not a man, Muggle, said the cold voice, barely audible now over the crackling of the flames. I am much... "'much more than a man. "'However, why not? "'I will face you. "'Wormtail, come, turn my chair round.' "'The servant gave a whimper. "'You heard
1: me, Wormtail.'
0: "'Slowly, with his face screwed up "'as though he would rather have done anything "'than approach his master and the hearthrug "'where the snake lay.' The small man walked forward and began to turn the chair. The snake lifted its ugly triangular head and hissed slightly as the legs of the chair snagged on its rug. And then the chair was facing Frank, and he saw what was sitting in it. His walking stick fell to the floor with a clatter. He opened his mouth and let out a scream. He was screaming so loudly that he never heard the words the thing in the chair spoke as it raised a wand. There was a flash of green light, a rushing sound, and Frank Bryce crumpled. He was dead before he hit the floor. Two hundred miles away the boy called Harry Potter woke with a start.